We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning, everybody. How are you today? <laughs> I'm Glenn Mack now. He's Mike Sealski. You, you, you have doing, gotten pal? in this habit of starting the show yeah. by making some kind of unintelligible noise. Guttural. It, it's it's my id coming out. Yeah. That, 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 that is, any, anything I say over the next three hours, that expl- will not explain how I feel as much as that sound effect, which was... That so. was... Uh, like a sound effect on a, a radio show. You know, it was almost like Dan Indeed. Wilson, our producer, hits a button and plays yeah. that. Well, he'll probably save that and play it for the next five years. But nonetheless, Mike, here we are five days later after just the biggest debacle I can remember as an Eagles fan. Um, and we wait. Uh, yesterday, by accounts, Jeff Meeting, Jeff Meeting, Jeff Lurie, back from the Caribbean. Don't know if he bought the yacht or not. But uh, I don't know. Was anyway. he listening to some Christopher Cross, you think, as he uh, vacationed? Know that, you know that station, <laughs> the, yacht, right. the Yacht Channel? Sure. Sailing. Yeah. Oh, gosh. But, yeah, I'm sure he was wearing the, wearing the, wearing the old beat-down beach shoes. Anyway, um, by all accounts, had a meeting with Jeff with, with – man, I'm all confused today. Had a meeting with Nick Sirianni, and we all kind of waited all day. Is there going to be an early announcement? It can be a f- late Friday news dump. I, I don't know about you. I was looking for the Kelly Green smoke coming out of one Novacare way. We got nothing. See, and there was nothing. We got nothing. So we wait and we continue to wait and we don't know. And um, as I, as you pointed out to me before the show, that nothing was announced yesterday doesn't really mean anything. Yeah, I just quickly, I guess you could say, crunched the numbers and looked back at the end of the 2020 season after which Jeffrey Lurie, as everybody remembers, fired Doug Peterson. That season ended on January 3rd. Remember, there was only 16 games in an NFL regular season way back in 2020. Uh, so anyway, season ends on January 3rd, and Doug Peterson isn't fired until January 11th. So that's eight days. Now, the circumstances were a little bit different. I don't think Jeffrey Lurie went into that meeting with Doug Peterson saying to himself, I've got to replace my head coach. I think it got to that point but nevertheless eight days is eight days and we're only at five and just because nothing's been announced yet doesn't mean we know exactly what is happening and it's not surefire that Nick is coming back it's not surefire that Nick is getting fired and we just have to wait and see yeah I don't want to take too much out of the fact that nothing was announced yesterday but I want you to be the kind of the fly on the wall what what, okay. what so the door closes mm-hmm and Lori says to us, you know, no calls, please. <laughs> Just the two of them, right? No yep. Howie? Right. Okay. I, I would think so, yes. I would think so, too. And Jeff's first question is, so, Nick, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> really, the only question you need to ask. That, that's really the only question, yes. And if I'm Nick, I'm making a plea. I'm making an argument where I say, look, Mr. Lurie, we went to the Super Bowl last season. We were a half away from winning it. 
the fact that we got off to a 10 and one start is an achievement in and of itself. I'm obviously not happy with the way the last seven weeks of the season went. We were spent. We had some issues, some uphill battles, uh, talent on the defensive side of the ball, two new coordinators. I have earned the opportunity through these first three years, three playoff berths, a Super Bowl berth, to come back and get this right. Let me bring in my own people. Let me bring in a new offensive coordinator, maybe Frank Reich. Let me bring in a new defensive coordinator, and I will fix this. Okay. Uh, so, Nick. Let me get a real play here. Okay. What do you think of the talent on the team? How did my general manager serve you with personnel this year? Well, Jeff, if I'm going to be honest, I think that we came up short in some areas. Like a linebacker, we didn't have an answer for when N'Kobe Dean got hurt. We were patching it together with scotch tape. Uh, our secondary got old quick. Uh, those first-round draft picks on the defensive line seem to run out of gas by the end of the season. Now, that doesn't mean that Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter aren't going to be terrific players moving forward, but it is the reality of being a second-year player and a rookie in the NFL. And as far as the offense goes, that one i got to take on me. That uh, one, yeah, okay. That okay. one i got to take on myself, and, and we'll get that fixed and get it better. Your Nick is more tactful than my Nick. Oh, yeah. I, believe me, I'm under no illusions about how Nick Sirianni might actually respond to yeah, those my, questions. My Nick is going to be, look at, look at what Howie Roseman gave me here. How right. am I supposed to win with those guys? Right. We, signing Bradbury to $18 million for another couple of years was a good idea. That's the best you could do. I needed help at midseason. Look with the broken down carcasses that he brought. And, and you're making a really, I think, important point here, Glenn, which is the personality difference between Nick Sirianni and Doug Peterson. Doug was a go-along-to-get-along guy naturally, okay? And then he wins the Super Bowl, and he wants the opportunity to have more control and put his stamp on the coaching staff and the way the Eagles do things. Jeffrey basically says no, and Doug is out. Nick, as we have seen for the last three years, can be a in-your-face, I'm-going-to-say-what-I-say-and-say-what-I-think-and-do-what-I-do kind of a guy. And it might get him in trouble from time to time, but that's how he's wired. And I wonder if he would respond to Jeffrey in the way you're suggesting. Okay, so that's Nick. If I'm Jeff Lurie, this is what I'm thinking. Okay. This was the most embarrassing collapse of a team that I have ever seen. And I'm speaking for Glenn right now. That mm -hmm. I, You know, I've lived in Philadelphia since 1987, and this is 86, I guess. And this is the worst. I've never seen anything like this. This mm -hmm. is, you know, people talk about the, the Phillies last year up two to nothing. That was not even remotely as bad as this. The Cotite team back in the 90s, that was not remotely as bad as no. the ineptitude that we saw over the last seven games culminating in a game they could have lost 45 to seven to the Tampa Bay Bucks, And so I lay, yeah, I lay some of that on Roseman, but mm -hmm. I lay a lot of, and I lay some of that on the players. You know, I, I, you, you clearly don't absolve the players who, who didn't show the will to tackle in those games, who didn't play smart. I mean, yeah, the players play the coach's coach, but the coach is coached hideously, and Nick is at the top of that. And if I'm Laurie, I say to myself, what evidence do I have to believe he can get this back? I think that's the key question that Nick has to answer because he did not show another move in the last seven weeks of the season. You and I were talking about this before mm -hmm. the show. 
when reports would come out and, and Nick himself would admit uh, the, the techniques and tactics he was using to try to motivate the team, he would go back to the same well that he had gone back to in 2021 when they were 2-5. and five. He's making references to the Fab Five and playing with swagger. And, yeah, we're violent. And we're, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you've, been, you've had your back against the wall at previous times in your life, and the same thing applies here. We've heard all that from him before, and not only that, there was no other strategic, schematic chess move that he made during those final seven games of the season. Right. He said it at one point when about three weeks ago when somebody said something about Brian Johnson, you know, not being able to do the job. He said, "This is my offense. It's the same offense yeah. we had last year. It's the same offense we had the year before." To which I said, to quote Eddie Murray, "Aha!" In trading places, <laughs> Eddie Murphy. I thought Murphy, you meant not the, Eddie Murray. <laughs> Eddie Murphy. Excuse me. Eddie Murphy in trade. I got five hours of sleep. That's I'm all right, it man. Right now. You ever have one of those days you just wake up way too early and can't get back to sleep? Yeah. This was, the, this was that one for me. Yeah. Anyway. I get it. All right. To quote Eddie Murphy, aha, which is, yes, it's the same offense, which is that the other teams have caught on to it, and you showed no ability to adjust whatsoever, i.e. the blitz and everything else. So I, that's that's top of my mind for Lori, and unless I can get a good answer from Nick about why it will be different, I cannot fathom a way I want to bring him back. And this is the other part of that. And you and I talked about this before the show. If the decision is Nick Sirianni is coming back, the immediate story now into training camp, into preseason, into the beginning of the season is which NFL coach is on the hot seat the most? Who's going to be the first coach to get fired? You're going to set the odds out of Vegas. First coach to lose his job. It's going to be Nick. Absolutely. And you can't go into a season with with the world, the fan base, the national people, and then your players as well thinking, oh, man, he screws up. He's going to get fired. We're going to get another coach. And that, to me, is a huge question in deciding to bring him back. It is. And the only way that I see that Jeffrey Lurie could put that question to bed and make it irrelevant would be to give Nick Sirianni a contract extension. Oh, gosh. That would be interesting timing. It, it sure would. Oh. But oh. my colleague David Murphy at the Inquirer had a really good column the other day where he pointed this out. And his, his basic thrust was, if you're talking about a head coach's job status, you're already too far down the road. Mm-hmm. That the key thing for any head coach in the NFL is to know and to have everybody in the organization know, I'm the owner's guy. I have the power to do what I need to do. I have the backing of the man who writes the checks. You better do what I say because the guy upstairs is backing me up. And unless Lurie gives him that extension, Nick's going to be an automatic lame duck with all these doubts. The one other thing I'll add, Glenn, that Oof. that I think Jeffrey— I'm still trying to cope with the last thing you said. <laughs> you got another thing I got to hear? Well, here's the thing. we the, have. I'm not saying it's your answer, but your thought is that for if Lurie isn't going to fire him, he needs to extend him. Yes. Yeah. There's another sound effect. There's another sound effect. <laughs> the other name that we haven't mentioned, and if we did, we mentioned it in passing, that I think is going to be right out of the chute, something that Lurie, if he hasn't already, is going to ask Nick about, is Jalen Hurts. Jeffrey Lurie has invested more than a quarter of a billion dollars in the prospect of Jalen Hurts being the Eagles franchise quarterback. And that 
might be, in a way, the most important factor in determining whether Nick stays. If you're Nick Sirianni, you have to assure Jeffrey Lurie that you can extract every drop of greatness out of Jalen Hurts that he has. And if you can't, or if Lurie believes that there's somebody else out there who can maximize his investment in Hurts, Nick's going to be out, and they're going to bring in that other guy. Yeah. This is not going to be the breakup where you keep the coach and lose the quarterback. No. As with, with Peterson and Carson Wentz. No. He, this, Nick, is, this is going to be the breakup where the quarterback's the one who stays, no, and you got to make it work with him. Nick has to show that he can be the Andy <laughs> Reid to Hertz's Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb mm-hmm. got better and better every single year under Andy Reid. And, For a while. Well, yeah, until yeah, about yeah. 2004 or five. Yeah. But that was a long enough time that they went to a bunch of championship games and got mm-hmm. to a Super Bowl. Nick has to be able to sh- to persuade Lurie, I'm the guy to shepherd the franchise quarterback to greatness. Yeah, well said. If I'm Jeff Lurie, I need to s- decide, does Nick have any answers as coach? How does he restore the offense? How does he re- improve his quarterback again? How does he anticipate the blitz next year? Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, what was up with that? Uh, can his team run the ball? Can he still come off as competent? Um, and the second part of it is, can this culture be saved? He Has he, as some suggest, lost the team, which can be overstated? We heard players defend them, some vociferously, like Fletcher Cox, some kind of little lukewarm. Like, like Jalen Hurts? Yeah, but I just don't know if that's Hurts' personality, that Hurts isn't going to go all in on anybody. I, I don't know that I want to take too much of it, but I certainly want to establish whether or not these guys – are going to buy into him after what you just said, which is, hey, guys, we're going to go out there. It's going to be violent and so on. It reminds me of the Ray Rhodes experience all those years ago, and a lot of our callers and listeners are going to be way too young to remember Ray Rhodes. But Ray Rhodes came in after Cotite. He was the first coach hired by Jeff Laurie in the early 90s and the first year he was coach of the year. And it was amazing. The Eagles went from 7-9, and nine, they made the playoffs. Won a playoff game. And they won a playoff game. Uh, New Orleans? I think New Orleans. Detroit. Detroit. Oh, Detroit. It was the Lomas-Brown game. Yes. That's right. Oh, God, it was a great game. Yeah. Um, and it's like Andy, uh, excuse me, Ray Rhodes is all that, and he's going to be all that for a while. And the second year, they were, like, not as good. And by the third year, they were terrible. And then he kept them around, by the way, for one year too many. But it was because Ray had the motivational rah-rah guys they're breaking into our house they're going to rape our women they're going to steal our children <laughs> yeah. we're going to go out and it was it was really like high school harry but it worked for a while it, it was high school harry if quentin tarantino was in high school yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> the Listen, dialogue was we, so we quite used, racy we used to carry those news i was on with jody in middays so we would carry the news conferences right and i was the guy with the assignment of having my finger next to the dump button <laughs> because there was oh, in the news conferences yeah. this wasn't in the closed door meetings this was Ray meeting with the press, and they say, "Ray, what what did you think about the the blitz?" You go, "Well, that bleepity bleepity," and it's like, "Yeah, I'm hitting the button." But if, anyway, if Martin Scorsese had written a football coach character, <laughs> it would have been Ray Rhodes. Right, Ray worked until it got old, and the, the question is: after these years, is it that Nick Sirianni's shtick got old? Because it happens. Two things: number one, yes, players stood up for Nick in the aftermath of the end of the season. They didn't stand up for him on the field. No, they it did sure not did. look like a team that was playing to serve or validate their belief in their head coach. It was it, you know what? It, the effort was horrible. The other thing I'd say, too, is the two most vociferous defenders of Nick were two guys who maybe, probably, likely won't be back next season. 
Jason Kelsey mm-hmm. and Fletcher Cox. So what about the guys who are definitely going to be back? I don't know. A lot of them weren't there and available on Wednesday yeah. when no, we were in the locker point. room. That's a good point. All right. Anyway, listen, uh, we'll get a call or two in here, and then uh, early visit with Ray Dinger. He's going to come on in the next segment. Want to get Ray's expertise. And at noon, we're going to talk to Jeff McClain, who does as good a job of covering this team as anybody around. So you want to be here uh, for the next three hours. 215-592-9494. Mike in Baltimore starts us off. Great, great analysis. I think you guys hit it right on the head. Um, I think the team is in a free fall. Mm-hmm. And you no know, answer, Nick, uh, is creating a tremendous amount of dysfunction in the organization. And I just don't – and it really goes all the way up to the top and all the way to the bottom. I mean, and I just don't see – Leave Dom DeSangro out of, of this, if you would. Yeah. I don't see him growing out of it because I think the whole – thing about Nick from the very beginning was he was supposed to grow as a coach and I just don't see that happening and I definitely can you I mean the pressure he's, he's going to be under at the beginning of next year is just going to be unbelievable he's going to be under a microscope yeah. he can be looked at in that organization by every single person he passes I just don't think he's up to the task it's going to be and thanks we, we got a bad phone line but I appreciate your call we got like Fuzz on the line there, but uh, you, you made your point. And you made it well. By the way, no answer, Nick, is a pretty good nickname. That's not for, bad. For the moment. Um, and it's what I said, and I think it's, it's the only narrative. It's any national media. Any, can you imagine what the game broadcast is going to be for week one when the Eagles play? Here's Nick Sirianni, the Eagles coach, after collapse last year. Everybody's looking to see if he survives the season. And you know what the next line's going to be in that monologue, Blaine? It's going to be, you know, the Eagles had an opportunity if they had chosen to. To hire Bill Belichick or Jim Harbaugh or Pete Carroll or Mike Vrabel. Yep. And instead they chose to bring Nick Sirianni back. Now, any one of those four guys, and I wrote this in the aftermath of the the loss in Tampa, any one of those four guys brings questions and a dynamic that I don't know that this organization is ready yet to bring on. Maybe Jeffrey Lurie is, but those four guys are not go-along-to-get-along head coaches. You bring them in, they're bringing in their own system. They're bringing in their own way of doing things. And they're going to be expecting everyone to kind of fall in line within the organization. If you go out and hire a Bill Belichick or a Mike Vrabel or a Pete Carroll or a Jim Harbaugh, what does that mean for Howie Roseman? Yeah. What does that mean for the way that this franchise and organization has done things Mm -hmm. with the exception of one year for the better part of a decade and a half? And the one year culminated with Jeff Lurie saying, I want my team back. Exactly. After after basically it had been hijacked by the college coach he had hired. Well, yeah, I guess it was the only college coach he had hired, the big-name, big-ego coach of Chip Kelly. This is a real conundrum yeah, that Jeffrey different. Lurie is in. If he keeps Nick or hires somebody like Nick, he's going to get nailed for not bringing in one of those big four. If he brings in one of the big four, he's got to change the entire direction of the franchise. You think even if he hires a Ben Johnson out of Detroit, even if he goes that that direction? Yeah. Because that's the the direction he's gone before. That would be the comfortable one. Every time he's brought in, he he has never hired a head coach with previous NFL head coaching experience. So every time he's brought somebody in, initially, that head coach had to contour himself to the way the Eagles did things. It was only when Chip said, you got to let me do things my way, that Jeffrey said okay, and it lasted less than a year. So 
even with Ben Johnson, he's not going to come in with the kind of control that of Rabel or a Belichick. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. To me, the direction Lurie would go if he gets rid of Nick. Yeah, is, he would go in that is direction. generally that direction. Correct. But you're saying he would face so much scrutiny of, well, these guys were out exactly. there, and you pass that up? Exactly. Yeah, you know what? Belichick's going to go like down to Atlanta and win seven games a year with a bad quarterback for the next three years to break the record. They haven't hired him yet. I think that's— I They think, haven't I think, hired him yet. I think that's his choice. Maybe. I think he's waiting to see. I— <laughs> Hey, we get any calls from the 215 area code? Nothing? Okay. I'm not saying it's likely to happen. I'm just saying it's not impossible. Okay. That's all. All right. That'd be interesting. Rob Indelco is with us. Good morning, Rob. Hey, gentlemen. How are you doing this all morning? All right. Hey, Rob. Hey, listen. Right or wrong, I'm just going to give you my view and why I think we should clean house. Maybe it's an overreaction, but you can let me know. But That's fine. Whatever you think is what you think. Real fast, so how about the Sixers and the Flyers being our saving grace right now? Who would have thought that at the beginning of the year? Those you know teams I mean? will be discussed on this show before the end of the hour. I promise you that. Okay, well, here's my point. If you have the answers, or I would say half of the answers to the test, don't you think you'll probably do pretty well on that test for the most part? Sure. And you know what I mean? If you do your studying and then you have half the answers. And here's my point. For what was it, the last six, seven weeks, including the playoffs debacle, they knew half of the answers, and what I mean by that is they knew they were getting blitzed, and they knew they were getting blitzed quite often. Maybe they didn't know, like that was half of the test they knew. They yeah. knew they were getting blitzed. The other half they didn't know was where it was coming from, how it was disguised, and all that. And I understand that part. But the point is, they knew teams were going to pressure them. They especially knew Tampa Bay, right? And the way they play defense there, and they, and they and they looked lost. And to me. That is an indictment on, I, I don't know, is it just Brian Johnson? Does it go to the head coach? Well, it's, it's the head coach more than anybody. we got to hit a break. Thanks for the call. I mean, it's Brian Johnson, but it's the head coach because you're the head coach. Yeah. And you, and you went during the week to Brian Johnson and said, hey, we know what Tampa Bay does on defense. What are we going to do about that? And the answer was, I don't know, have, have Jalen run around in the back until he can throw it away or take the worst safety in the history of the NFL? That's why the Belichick thing is so interesting to me because nobody was better or has been better in the NFL at contouring a game plan to win a specific game. Yeah. Did the Buccaneers and the Giants blitz the hell out of the Eagles and at the end of the season? Yeah. Did the 49ers? No. The 49ers rushed four in kind of a mush-rush way to keep Hurts in the pocket. And the Eagles couldn't handle that either. And it seemed like that lack of adjustment, that lack of anticipation, really hurt Nick and that offense over the last seven weeks. Mike Sielski, you have espoused a tremendous amount of wisdom in this segment. I applaud you for that. And in keeping Thanks. with the uh, idea of espousing wisdom, we're going to bring in Ray Didinger. Sounds good to in, me. In the next segment, and he's going to tell us what's what. The two wise men, huh? There you go. And, and me. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. 215-592-9494. We'll take calls all day. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Here he goes again. Hertz is back. Hertz steps up. He's being rushed. He's dashing back. He's looking. He's tackled. It's a safety. No, he lets go of the football, and the Bucks have the ball. But let's see. I think it's going to be called a safety. Yeah, it's a safety, Merrill. And, that, was, and, that was Carson Hurts right there. I, that, I cannot tell you a worse football play than I've seen in my life. You know, let's find out if somebody has seen a worse football play in his life. Uh, our pal, the great Ray Didinger, joins us. Nice enough to be with us today. 
Ray, I just want to go into your living room uh, as you're sitting there on the couch with your Diet Coke, scratching the dog's head, and that play occurs. I'm assuming Maria is like two rooms away trying not to pay attention. Correct. Yeah, you, painted well, the, you, you painted the picture exactly right. Okay. As you saw that play unfold, and I guess I'm trying to go from micro look to the big picture, what, what crossed your mind? <laughs> what crossed everybody's mind? Throw the damn thing away. <laughs> what, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, what, I mean, that's what everybody was thinking. That's what everybody was saying. I mean, that's, um, I mean it was uh, – yeah, it's, it, you look at the score at that point, and the score was relatively still close. I mean, I, I, which I think was misleading, even though I, I never felt the Eagles were in that game. Mm-mm. I just, I, I just never, yeah. I know, I know what the, I know what the scoreboard said that they were still in the game, but it, I never felt like they were in the game. But that play, you know, that play, um, then that was the end of it. I mean, they, they took the safety, they kicked the ball away, Bucks got the ball, came down, scored, and then it really was over. But, um, I mean, that play just kind of, um, in a nutshell, kind of tells you the story of where this Eagles football team is. Exactly. And, you know, where the, where's the coach and where's the quarterback? Real briefly, Ray, I want to build on that for a second. I did joke about that being Carson Hurts, but it did seem this season, and I don't think there's any doubt about this, that there were occasions where Jalen, maybe in trying to make chicken salad out of chicken you-know-what, held the ball a long time. Uh, we didn't see... Passes to the running backs out of the backfield, screen game, those sorts of things. Maybe he doesn't like to do them. Maybe Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson don't like to call them. That was one of the things at the end of Wentz's time here. And again, I'm not saying Jalen Hurts is Carson Wentz. I'm not. But at the end of Wentz's time here, there was little efficiency in the offense. It just seemed like Wentz would never take what a defense was giving him. From what you saw from Hurts this season, how many of the problems came down to the offense not a, not providing those sorts of get-the-ball-out-of-your-hand throws, and how much of it was Jalen's reluctance to make those throws? Yeah, that, that, um, like most things, it's, it's, it's a little bit of both. Uh, they, I mean, that, that was both part of it. Um, I think the offense was uh, – the offense was poorly constructed in many ways. I thought, I thought the, the, the design of the offense – the concepts they were trying to run, um, especially against particular defenses, especially against defenses that were inclined to blitz and bring a lot of pressure. I just thought that the that what the Eagles what the Eagles drew up to counter that was was really bad. I mean, and, and you, it was never and it became really a big topic of conversation with the Giants game and then with the Bucks game when it was obvious that they had nothing built into the game plan to um, to combat a, to combat a team that was going to blitz you seventy percent of the time or more. Um, I mean, some of that, you know, there are, there are things that, that teams have been doing forever to combat that, and a lot of it is involved in route adjustments, site adjustments, hot routes, things like that. that are all designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands in a hurry. The Eagles didn't seem to do that. I mean, they have been – and this is something that Nick talks about, and this is very philosophical with him. Nick always thinks in terms of the big play offense. You know, I, I've heard him say it a million times. You know, it's the NFL. This game is a league of big plays. You got to win by making big plays on offense. And I think, well, there's a certain element of truth to that. But you also have to make the in-between kind of plays to allow the other plays to happen. And when they went in, then when they went into games against teams that were heavy blitz teams, and the Giants certainly were, and, and Lord knows the Buccaneers certainly were, um, the Eagles were thinking, well, if a team's going to blitz on us, it gives us opportunities to make big plays down the field with vertical routes. 
well, yeah, I guess that is. But the way you were set up right now, you know, you, you, your quarterback couldn't get away from that kind of rush. So I think that – so some of it, I think, came down to the offense, the design of the offense, which goes to the coaches. Uh, some of it came down to the play calling, which certainly goes to the coaches. But some of it, I think, also went to the quarterback because I think his judgment could be questioned a lot. And the play that you, the play that you played there – was the most obvious example, but I think as the defense, I think I think as the defense collapsed over the course of the second half of the year, and just became really literally one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I think Jalen Hurts went into every game thinking, "I got to score forty to win," mm-hmm. you know, and and I think and I think when he's thinking that, he's putting even more pressure on himself to try and make the big play when the big play isn't there. Ray, let's go bigger picture. Um, biggest picture. What should Jeffrey Lurie do, and what do you think he will do? Man, that's a million-dollar question. Everybody's asking it. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly, uh, I, I have no uh, insight. I have no. Um, I have, my, my ear has not been to any door that has told me any, uh, allowed me to hear any secrets. Um, I don't know. I mean, I almost people I talk to. Um, I've had people tell me straight up that he's going to fire him. Uh, and and with very little equivocation, it's just uh, no, it's it's done. Um, I've had other people say no, 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 he's not going to do that. Um, so I'm I'm and I'm sort of in the middle. I mean, one day I think it's one day I think he's going to make the move, and then other days I think, you know, I, I just don't I I don't see it. All right. Um, so so he... I'm so I'm so I'm right in between on that. What should he do? I think a lot depends on what was said when they met. You know, if I think I think Nick had to come into that meeting armed with some real specific ideas of what he wanted to do to change what happened down the stretch here. If he just walked into that room with with his his good looks and his sense and his New York sense of humor, mm. that wasn't going to save the day. I mean, I think I think Jeffrey. Anybody watched that game on Monday night? You saw the look on Jeffrey Lurie's face in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was. Um, he, he was beyond depressed. He was, uh, I mean, he was angry. Uh, and so, and that's exactly the face he had when, I when Nick walked into the room. So Nick had to come in there prepared to tell him what I'm going to do differently. I think one of the things that's going to be critical here is I'm sure one of the things that Jeffrey's going to ask for is massive changes in the coaching staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and by the way, I think he should. I think he's entirely justified in saying that. Um, how's Nick going to receive that? I mean, we know that kind of was the breaking point between he and Doug Peterson, that he wanted to make big changes in the coaching staff, and Doug said no. And when Doug pushed back, that was the beginning of the end of their relationship. Um, how's it going to go down here? You know, when, when Jeff says that, when Jeff says we're going to have to make big changes in the coaching staff, does Nick say, okay, boss, I'm with you? Or does he say, no, 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 we're not making changes on my coaching staff? I think that's going to have a lot to do with whether Nick keeps the job or not. Do you really think, Ray, that Nick wants to keep Matt Patricia as the defensive coordinator? I mean, what I'm getting at is there's question about how much control already that Nick has over his coaching staff, right? Wouldn't he have to go in there and say, give me back veto power over who the offensive and defensive coordinators can be? Well, I think certainly, yeah. I think, uh, and, and I think he's, that would be his instinct, and he would probably say that. Um, you know, I mean, to me, Matt Patricia was an odd fit from the moment they hired him. I mean, I just, I, I kind of scratched my head and figured out what are they trying to do here. I didn't make much sense out of it. And then, 
you saw how the thing played out and it proved to be even worse than we, worse than we imagined. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think so. But there are a lot of guys on this staff that are Knicks guys, you know, that, that are guys that he brought in here and guys that he, he really relates to. I mean, they've got, I think, like, I think they've got like 27 or 28 coaches. Um, uh, but there are some of them that are kind of Knicks inner circle. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, there's some guys that, that can leave and he probably won't say anything. There are other guys that they want gone could be an issue. Um, but there, it's, it's obvious. One of the real, one of the real things if, if Jeff was watching this game kind of the way I was watching, and not just this game, but the whole stretch run, was week after week after week, you just saw this thing getting worse. And week after week after week, Nick would come out and meet the press. And, Mike, you were there for a lot of those press conferences. And he would say, we're going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. You know, we, we know what's happening, and, you know, and, but we, we're working on it, and I'm going to fix this. And if you're Jeff Lurie sitting there Monday night watching the game, you're saying, Nick, you didn't fix anything. Okay, and you and for six weeks you told me that you could. What makes me think right now that you can moving into next year? Um, there's a, one of the problems that's going to happen here. Whether if he does choose to keep him, if he does choose to keep him, which I still think is a possibility, he's going to start next year with that cloud over his head. That's what we said earlier. It's the yeah. it's the you know every story is who's the coach on the hot seat, who's the first coach to get fired Absolutely. in the NFL, and he's that Absolutely. guy. And here's Mike's solution to that. Ray, I hope you're sitting down at this moment. Jeffrey would have to give him a contract extension. He'd have mm-hmm. to reaffirm his belief and trust and faith in Nick. And the only way to do it would be to say he's going to be here beyond next season, guaranteed. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, I, I, I that, know to the that'll, average, that'll go over well. No, I, that, that would not be well received <laughs> no. at all. I mean, I, I, think if, if, I, think if you, I think if you did a man on the street uh, sort of poll on this, I think most people want him gone. Yeah, I did, and it was uh, it was about fifty eight forty two, which is which is a majority, but not not really a runaway. Before we let you go, Ray, and I know you got you got a place you've got to be uh, because you're the guy who wrote the Eagles Encyclopedia once, twice, three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, your uh, legacy chapter for the three players who certainly stand a good chance to be leaving here, who were part of the three Super Bowls: Kelsey, Cox, and Graham. Oh uh, yeah, um, absolutely three, three giant players in the history of the franchise. And uh, I mean, if you if you look at their career, I mean, in terms of games played, just in terms of games played, I mean, Kelsey Graham Cox are like among the top half dozen players just in terms of games played. Um, and it's not just that they played them; I mean, they played them so well. I mean, Cox, you know, Cox is a four-time All-Pro, six Pro Bowls, um, and you know, Graham is going to wind up having played more games than any Eagles player ever. Uh, and, and you've got Kelsey, who, um, I mean, this is, a, this is a sweeping statement on my part, and it does not come lightly. <laughs> uh, but, I, but Jason Kelsey is the best center ever to play for the Eagles. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, when I had to, I, I guess Chuck Bednarik was a center, right? That is correct. And when I had to do, I guess it goes back about, geez, maybe 10 years ago, I was asked to do um, a an all-time Eagles team, eleven on offense, eleven on defense, and I uh, and I had Ben Narek as my center on offense, and I had Ben Narek as my middle linebacker on defense, uh, and I really didn't think that was ever really going to change. But in having seen Jason Kelsey's entire career and seeing what he's done and how how great he has been and how durable he has been, and what he has meant to this to this team over that period of time uh, with the success that they've had. 
I got to put him there. I got to put him at center. Now, now Chuck is going to stay at middle linebacker, and I don't know that that's ever going to change. I mean, Ben Eric has to be on that list somewhere. But right now, I mean, Jason Kelsey to me has been that good, and no question in my mind, he's a first ballot Hall of Fame guy. And uh, you know, uh, you know, number will be retired, and you know, his 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 name will go up in lights, and and should because he's been. He has been just a remarkable, remarkable player. 157 consecutive starts yeah. at that position in the NFL today. You're not going to see another one like him anytime soon. By the way, Ben Eric, best middle linebacker until 20 years from now when we say it's Jeremiah Trotter Jr. next year's draft pick. <laughs> well, that's going to be a tall mountain to climb. I, indeed it hey, is. They, they well, the, Eagles, have... listen, the Eagles will have to decide to draft a linebacker I... to allow that to happen. I was Wouldn't s- that be refreshing? We needed a seance this season so that – the ghost of Chuck could come back and play a little middle linebacker for this team. My yeah. God. Hey, Ray, <laughs> listen, it's always a pleasure. Uh, hey, I'm going to see you next week. Hopefully you know the details. You and I are going to be appearing at a Joe Conklin Fest out in Westchester. Uh, you got the details? Because I don't. I can look them up. Uh, I don't either. I just, okay. I just know, I just know the date, and I know it's at the, um, oh, it's bad. at the, it's at the big auditorium at Westchester University. Okay, and what's, what day are we doing that? Next Saturday? I, no, I think, I think it's Friday. Okay, I trust you on that. I trust you. I should have looked. Well, it don't up. trust me too much. <laughs> you might, you might, you might want to check with Joe. Are we selling tickets for Joe here or what? <laughs> anyway, we're going to be doing a book signing, and we're going to be part of Joe's show. It's Friday, January twenty-sixth. Thank you, and it's where. Uh, at the uh, City Rhythm Orchestra at Westchester University. There you go. That's with the, the orchestra and yeah, whatever oh, the auditorium is at the university. It's an amazing show that Joe does, and we're excited to be part of it. So hopefully we'll find our way and be there the right day. Ray, enjoy your lunch. <laughs> All right, guys. All right, pal. Have a great Take day. care, Ray. Right, be well. See you, Mike. I'm trying You'll get to... the details between now and Friday the 26th. Well, I, I should get them between now and 1 o'clock. So hopefully people want to come out and see it. Let's uh, get John and Manny before we hit the break. Hey, John. Hey, it's ironic you have Hall of Fame writer uh, Ray Dinger on there. I just want to bring up an Eagles point after I bring this up. It's a shame that uh, a lot of guys at Sports Illustrated got zipped this week. You know, as a kid growing up, we'd always wait by the mailbox for it to come, and that's it. You know, that you know, it's going down. It, it's it's difficult to take one of the maybe well certainly the best uh, sports journalism institution and throw it in the trash can over a four- or five-year period, but the people running Sports Illustrated have managed to do that. And you're right, John. It's just it's terrible for another legacy media uh, outlet and institution, and I have a lot of friends who work at SI, and I hope they make it out of this okay. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on Eagles, any chance that uh, they might hire a former Tic Tac Doe host, uh, Martin uh, uh, Wink, Wink, Wink Martindale. Wink. Wink Martindale. Defensive uh, uh, you know, we love him because he blitzes. That defense was 27th in the league. Yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, it's the talent he's got there and everything, but, uh, you know. Yeah, I think all that will depend on who the head coach is, and we don't know that yet. So, by the way, uh, this coming uh, week from uh, today, that would be Saturday the 26th at 8 p.m. at the Westchester University Wing, uh, Madeline Wing Adler Theater. Okay. Uh, Ray Dinger and I will be joining the Joe Conklin and the City Rhythm Orchestra. No, that's Friday the 26th. Jeez, am I screwing this up? Friday the 26th. Friday the 26th. There you go. For tickets, JoeConklin.com. There you go. 215-592-9494. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, coming up, things were a little bit more upbeat for two teams. We'll get into those next. A 94 WIP. Hey, if the cold weather, and it is cold. 
As you're thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafty windows and doors, there is no better time than now to, ha- to make your home more energy efficient while taking advantage of God's big winter sale. The great people at Guided Door and Window are extending the big winter sale through January by offering 40% off every window and door you buy right. Receive 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window, which also includes free high-performance low-E glass. And if you're in the need of a new door, you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. You can take advantage of Guided's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans to get your project started with no money out of pocket. Offers for a limited time only, so you must act quickly. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. Embiid going right half Batase. Uh-oh! I think Embiid might have been watching Ann Edwards play a little hoop last night. Well, there you go. That's uh, the great Kate Scott calling last night. Uh, Joel Embiid had an amazing performance last night. Again, Sixers beat the Magic 124-109. to 109. Embiid with 36 points. Again, he now has 30 or more points in 19 consecutive games, Mike Sealski. It's one of those records, Glenn, that's just hallowed throughout sports. You, you, you uh, wake up in the morning and you ask yourself, what are the great records in sports? Ah, Guys who score 30 points and get 10 rebounds in a game for 19 straight games. Well, it's right up there with DiMaggio's well, The rebound hitting. streak ended, right? Yeah, I think seven it did. The other seven night. rebounds yeah. last night. Yeah, it's like DiMaggio's hitting streak. Or yeah, I know. Something I, like that. I, and, and listen, then he's taking games off in the middle of it and so on. Look, and so I, I am. He's playing great. He's playing yes, great. That's he the is. bottom line is he is playing great, and they're looking pretty good. They're in third place in the conference. I think they're better than people gave them. Credit for being early on. They're they're a real thing. They got a coach. They have a coach. They have a full complement of bench players this time, which mm-hmm. I, I think Nick Nurse will be more likely to deploy come the postseason. But again, let's see come the postseason. This all is wonderful and nice until we get to the second round. So of does the everybody enter the end of May, the beginning of June with this? Yeah, let's see. Yeah. Give me everybody's attitude. Yep. Yeah, I think that's exactly it's gonna be right. mine. Show yeah. me. Show me. Please show me. I would be delighted. Yeah, show that's me. unfair to Nick Nurse. It's unfair to a lot of the guys on the roster now, but that's where we are. That is exactly where we are. On the other hand, on Thursday night, this happened. Goes back up. Shot by Antley. Misses the target. Picking it up is Owen Tippett. Turbocharge time. Tippett spins back at her. He scores! from the other night. Owen Tippett absolutely dazzling. And it's 5-1 Philadelphia. You've got to be kidding me. Might have been the best goal I've seen all year. Best goal I've seen in, in a long, long time by Owen Tippett, who's playing very well. Flyers beat Dallas. Dallas a good team, man. Uh, they outshot him like 45-19. to 19. They just thought they were outshooting him 21-1 to 1 at one point. Yep. Um, they play today by by uh, the way at one o'clock against the Avalanche, another very good team yep. out there in the Central Division. Both goalies playing well. This team is good, and you showed me a little bit uh, of a soundbite from the coach before the game that was very interesting. Yeah, John Tortorella said in an interview this week that people need to be prepared for the fact 
that the Flyers are still in their quote-unquote process, and they are going to approach the trade deadline in the way that Danny Briere and Keith Jones and John Tortorella have said they're going to approach the trade deadline, which is they are not going to add any pieces in the hopes of trying to improve their chances of winning now. And if anything, they can't let the team's success so far this season blind them to where they are in their rebuild. And they may make a move that has people saying, why would you do that? That guy's been playing so well for us because they think it's better for the team they're going to be down the road. Man, that's going to be interesting if that happens. It's going to be really interesting. People are very charged up about this team. I don't think anybody has any illusions that they're going to deepen the playoffs, but you get to the playoffs, you're competitive in a round. You know, I Mm -hmm. think for people that would be something to see. If Keith Jones, Danny Breer stay true to the mission and say, you know what, we're going to move this guy toward the back end of his career for a second-round pick, Never mind the playoffs. That is going to be tough for fans. It is. and It's not a trust-the-process kind of thing. No, it's not. And it's interesting, Glenn. I read something the other day. I think Charlie O'Connor from philly.com, P-H-L-Y.com, made a reference to this. It's true. The Flyers don't have a lot of what would be considered high-end NHL talent, right? That's the disappointment about the Cutter-Gauthier trade is that he was supposed to be the dynamic forward, the goal scorer that they've lacked for so long. But Charlie asked, okay, has there been a team in recent years that didn't have that kind of roster and pedigree and still made a deep playoff run? And he came back to the Vegas Golden Knights in the first year they were in the NHL Mm -hmm. when they got all the way to the finals and lost to Ovechkin in the Washington Capitals. Pretty amazing. Uh, And what they did was just kind of come after you every single night with young guys. And that's what this Flyers team does. And I'm not suggesting they're going to make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. But it is the dynamic that has made them really fun to watch and really a breath of fresh air compared to what this team had been for so many years. The bad news is that the Eagles were just completely disgusting down the stretch and fell apart in ways that I have never seen a pro team fall apart or a team I root for. It was the worst experience in the history of Philadelphia sports. I wasn't around in 1964 when the Phillies blew it. This is my point of reference. I've been here for 36 years. This was the worst thing I ever saw. The good news is... The Flyers and Sixers are pretty entertaining right now. They really are. I I don't have illusions that either of them will win the title this year. I appreciate that for the Sixers' expectations are they got to start going further than they did. But you know what? It's a weeknight. It's 8 o'clock. I turn on the TV. It's like I can watch either of these teams now and enjoy both of their play. Yeah, and I'll say this one last thing with respect to the Flyers. The fact that people have taken to this team in the way that they have only shows that – The organization should have taken this route years ago. Get some young, fresh faces in here. Stop trying to patch it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all of I mean, you're right, but that was a different administration. It was. Right. No, it absolutely was. It's just a shame that it took this long to get Briere and Jones in there and guys who understood that this is what needed to be done. And again, it may not work. It may not end with a championship, but at least they're going about it in the way that's smart. Right direction. Rick and Easton is with us. Hello, Rick. Boy, do I want to jump through my phone and hug you guys for what you guys just talked about. Uh, before I go Eagles, uh-huh. got to go Flyers. I wonder what Konechny and Hart's value right now, what kind of pieces they could bring to the Flyers. Interesting question. It really is, Rick, and that's kind of what Tortorella was hinting at. I don't yep. think necessarily to the degree that we're talking about here with respect to Konechny and Hart, 
But certainly in the offseason, that is something that you have to look at if you are Briere and Jones and Tortorella is, hey, they have two goaltenders who can play. Yeah. What can we get for one of them? Couldn't agree with you more. And, Glenn, I'm, I'm in this city a little longer than you. You and I go way back. But mm-hmm. let me tell you something. From the mid to late 60s to the late 70s before Vermeil and before talk show radio, it was always as soon as the Eagles were done, we were all content to say, let's go Flyers yeah, sure. and let's go Sixers. And it was fun. I will tell you, it was fun. I know it's a football town, but we didn't really know that back then. But now we really know it with talk radio. My, here's my issue. Jeff Lurie, his franchise is now worth $4.3 billion. And my only concern is when he makes a lot of money, does he really have to win? And my concern is I'm looking at Andy Reid's last three years who did a lot to make that franchise a lot of money, 10-6, and 8-8, and 4-12 and before he left. My concern is, and I hope I'm wrong, Lori's making so much money right now, and him and Roseman love to control the head coach. I'm concerned that we're going to give Sirianni another year, which he might deserve, and that's one of my biggest concerns yeah. for the Eagles team moving Thanks. forward. I think they over overevaluated. It kills me because you guys know I talked SEC the whole season. They may have overevaluated those SEC defensive right. linemen. So, I hope I'm wrong. And, and thanks for the call, pal. We'll yep. talk to you soon. Yep. There, there's two thanks, things Rick. here. One is he may they may have overevaluated and they may be complacent and so on. It's not about the money with Jeff Lurie. No. Jeff no. Lurie is at the point where he has so much money that money is not a motivator. Winning is a motivator. Lori has always spent on the team. You can't argue that he's cheap like Norman Brayman. No. No, the status of another Super Bowl, Bowl victory is what drives Jeffrey Lurie. I don't have any doubt about that. As far as Rick's point about letting Andy Reid go at that point, look at the quarterback situation. Again, it comes back to that for me, Glenn. Look at the Eagles' quarterback situation. Then you know where they're going to go with the head coach. Yeah, good point. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. Uh, we cleared out the lines. It's a good time to get through. You know what we're talking about. We really do want your input. Essentially, what will the Eagles do? What will Jeff Laurie do? What should Jeff Laurie do? That's the big question as we wait. As we wait. No puffs of smoke. Nothing. I haven't seen anything. No, 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 no wafting knowing twi- Kelly Green nothing. clouds. No. Nothing like okay. that. We wait. We'll let you know as soon as we hear anything. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, I recorded a commercial recently with the great people from uh, Meridian Bank, along with one of their business banking customers. You know, over the years, I've met a lot of business owners who work with Meridian. Every single time, I am just blown away with how highly they speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. Knowing the team of people at Meridian, it's no surprise. They're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Because Meridian itself is entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. Mike Sealski, Glenn Macnow, 94 WIP. Mike, if you will indulge me for a moment, I want to read something written by one of my favorite local authors that appeared earlier this week. Okay. I'm going to do it in my Walter Cronkite voice. Great. You have to hand it to the Eagles. They managed to take one of the NFL's elite pass rushers, maybe the most feared force on their entire defense, and make him disappear. Patricia showed up here this season with that Bill Belichick pedigree, with the experience of working under a coach who more than other knew how to maximize a player's strengths and minimize his weaknesses, yet Patricia never managed to slide that pencil from his ear 
and scratch out some schemes good line, that might free Hassan Reddick from his outside linebacker spot for a clear, few clear shots at opposing quarterbacks. And Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni kept letting Patricia get away with that coaching malpractice. The greatest trick that Matt Patricia ever pulled was convincing the world that Hassan Reddick didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, so this all comes up because, of course, Hassan Reddick recorded 11 sacks through the first 11 games. Actually, 11 sacks from games 3 to 11, yep. I believe. Uh, and was having an outstanding season. And Mike Sealski, because of that, was thinking, oh, I got all the veal parm I can eat. <laughs> You're not the first person to mention the fact that uh, after I wrote that column about Reddick and Patricia, uh, entirely in the airport at Tampa, by the way, as my flight was getting delayed and delayed on uh, Tuesday, yeah. uh, that I had something at stake. But honestly, that had nothing to do with it. I just couldn't no, get over I, the I, fact that it's correct. we watched one of the league's best pass rushers totally disappear from the Eagles' defense. And it's another reason, it's another thing that Nick Sirianni has to answer to. Nick? You need to answer. Now we're doing a lot of movies. Now I'm doing like Godfather 2. Yeah. You need to answer for Sonny. <laughs> you need to answer for Hassan Reddick and why he disappeared. And it's a great question. And, of course, it all boils down to this, Mike Sielski. You and I made a stupid football bet at the beginning of the year, and the bet was quite simply, who's going to have more sacks, Hassan Reddick or the entire defensive contingent of Georgia? Mm-hmm. And you had a formidable lead. I had an 11-7 to 7 lead in this bet. And it slowly dwindled. Slowly dwindled because my guys weren't exactly on fire. No. Jordan Davis? <laughs> Jordan Davis didn't get a sack after week seven. Nope. N'Kobe Dean? Hurt. Jalen Carter? Four sacks the first half of the season. Two after that. Mm-hmm. But. Ah. You had two aces in the hole. If my Georgia Bulldogs had anything, they had depth. <laughs> so I, a Keeley Ringo sack against the Giants in Week 17. Total loss of yardage? Zero. About an inch. Yeah. <laughs> Ties it up going into the playoffs. Oh, the drama. Oh, there was drama, all right. And in the midst of getting blown out to the Bucks last week, there was one bright note. Mike, I take you. Early in the third quarter, Eagles are down 16-9. Still a winnable game if yeah. they can, you know, find their way here. Bucks have the ball. Third and seven on the Eagles' 45. Let's hand it off to Merrill. Third and seven. Can the Eagles force them to punt for the second consecutive time? Mayfield back. He steps up. They've got him. They've got him back at the 45. That's more like it. Boy, did they get him. Fletcher Cox, Nolan Smith turning the corner. They do a really nice job of breaking down the pocket in the middle and then getting the pressure from the outside. Fletcher Cox, thank you very much. We honor you, but... More importantly, Nolan Smith, the other first-round pick, the guy who gave me a single sack the entire season, yes, really did very little, finishes his rookie year with just 18 tackles, three quarterbacks hit, hits, but he knew what was at stake. <laughs> I'm not talking about the season. Clearly he didn't. I'm talking about dinner at Ralph's. The fact that he got yours. one sack this season, and it was a half of a sack in like a game 10 or 11. Yeah, yeah. And a half of the sack, a half of a sack in that game against Tampa just added insult to injury here. 
to me, this is why Matt Patricia had to be fired. It has nothing to do with the competence of the Eagles' defense. Is that now I have to pay for dinner at Ralph's yeah, for you yeah. and Dan Wilson and Ben Kenny? Yep. Uh, just disappointing, Glenn. This is the second consecutive year that we've had this bet, and it went right down to the wire. And I had had into a, the postseason. Into the postseason, and I had had a sizable lead. Yep. Last year it was the play of the Eagles' special teams to boil it down and. Britton Covey rips off a 27-yard punt return in the Super Bowl that Love allows that you guy. to win Love him. that bet. And then here, just, I thought I had this in the bag with the season Hassan Reddick was having. I really did. And Matt Patricia just took it all away from me. He did. Uh, he, he took that pencil and he stabbed me in the heart. <laughs> Dan Wilson, what do you got here? I, I just can't believe you won by a half sack yeah. in overtime. Like, back-to-back years of overtime. So, I'll, you know, hats off to you for setting these lines so precisely. It was that, a great bet. I mean, it, win or lose, it was a great It really bet. was. That's two it, years in a row. Forward and backward and like, momentum and so on. Yeah, Physically could not have been any closer. Yep. And, yeah, and it was what, the sack and against the Giants that was, like, by an inch, and I'm watching that. I'm like, there's no way. Like, I, we weren't even, I wasn't even sure in real time if it was a sack. And he had to go back, and they, they oh, the scored that Ringo. way. Oh, the I didn't think it was a sack. Yeah, we go Ringo. back, they see they yeah. gave him one. You're like, yeah. oh, we got overtime in yeah. this thing. And, yeah. and, and for our listeners, you have to understand that any time Reddick or one of the Georgia players would be involved in a sack, either Glenn or I would text the other one, or if we were in the Lincoln Financial Field press yes. box together, <laughs> sitting at opposite ends of it, I, because I'm years younger than Glenn, would sprint down oh, yeah, to the other run. end of the press box oh, yeah. and get in his face in front of everybody. Oh, yeah. Or have to cower in my seat if it was a Keely Ringo yeah. sack or a yeah. Jalen Carter it sack. It was great. It was great. And, and a lot of people follow it on social media and through the show and so on. Uh, Dan, uh, rather than your football talk, I'm more curious about what, what are we going to eat? Yeah, so I'm looking at the menu here. Looks like they got some good ravioli. They've had that in the past. Yeah, uh, lasagna's good. Fettuccine Alfredo's good. Uh, you look to the desserts. They actually now have on the menu the Dan Wilson special, which is just a <laughs> scoop of ice cream. Uh, so looking forward to that. The, the meatballs are always a hit. Oh, oh the meatball. So the um, meatball appetizer is the way to start to me. Oh, it, it's great. And um, then uh, you know what I like? They have a like a combined eggplant veal parm. That's oh. just yeah, that's a great. I didn't dish. know you could combine them. Oh yeah, it's got, it's got a name. I don't remember the name, Dan. If you're looking at the menu and see the name, let me know. But it's it's an eggplant and veal parm. That's oh, not bad. Wow. So two things for me. I mean, I remember the dinner we had last year, and we had the meatball app. I think I got to go with the calamari this time. Okay. And I'm a big fan of the Sorrento, which is mozzarella cheese and the white wine sauce. Mm. Uh, and so I think I had that last year. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got to go back to that. Did you get the veal, the chicken. Which way? Well, did you maybe go? I'll get both if they'll if Jimmy will allow me to have both. Oh, I, might... I think they'll. Uh, okay, you're I hope the so. bill. They'll let you get whatever the hell you want. <laughs> Thank you for reminding <laughs> That's me. That's on you. Uh, Little sambuca I'll take some leftovers after the meal? to go. I'll get the dinner for the next day. Bring it. Bring right. in some lunch. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. We're, we're gonna have a doggy dump truck. I think. Yeah. This, sure. That, this yeah. Dinner. <laughs> There you go. The refrigerated bag to go home. There you go. Anyway, we are looking forward to seeing our friends at Ralph's Italian Restaurant, the oldest Italian restaurant in America, and we're really looking forward to it in that as Mike takes out his his wallet. and Yeah, it'll be good. Ah, man, book sales better be robust there in 2024. Go. That's all I'm saying. There you go. Anyway, it's uh, before we go, we'll go to the phones in a second. I see we've got a couple of people there. Um, how was Patricia in the end? Jeff's idea, Howie's idea, Nick's idea. Not Nick's idea. We don't think. I don't know. I have no firsthand knowledge mm-hmm. at all. Just based on history, 
I would say the likelihood is that Jeff and or Howie put a bug in Nick's ear. I have a hard time believing that Nick Sirianni unilaterally made this decision to demote the guy that he had hired to be the defensive coordinator and to promote the guy that Howie Roseman has had a relationship with for a long time and that brought in here um, to lend help to the defense. Remember, Nick Sirianni didn't know Matt Patricia before he was hired uh, with the Eagles. And you talked to Hassan Reddick. I did. I talked to him for a while, and it was a very revealing conversation. It was in the middle of the locker room at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa after that game Monday night, and it was quite obvious that Hassan was censoring himself. Let's put it that way. How he held his tongue. Yeah, he really did. About He used the phrase, it is what it is, about a half a dozen times, which tells you everything you need to know about what his real thoughts were, about him dropping into coverage seven times in one game. And I have to think, Glenn, at some level, Patricia was doing that because he just had no more confidence in the Eagles' other linebackers. But... Hassan Reddick's not the guy you drop no. into coverage. No, you're taking, you know, arguably your best, not even arguably. Your best I don't think it's an argument. You take your best offensive weapon. Right. Right? You don't have any safeties that are worth a damn. Your cornerbacks didn't do anything through the season, and you have no linebackers. You have a run st- stuffer or two. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. Right? And you have one guy who can rush the, the quarterback because you got nothing out of sweat this year. Right. And And my baby Bulldogs, they – peaked early, if and any, so this was it. This if, was your if any, guy. If anything, you should have leaned into Reddick's talent as a pass rusher. What do I need to do to free this guy up more? Because right. it's the only chance right. we have. Reddick said after the game, I asked him if he had ever dropped into pass coverage this often in his career. And he said, well, I'd have to go back to my first three years with the Cardinals when he played inside linebacker yeah, right. and when his career was in jeopardy. It yeah, was he, all... was, he wasn't the guy he is now. Exactly. It was only when the Cardinals moved him to the outside that he became this incredible pass rusher, and now he's trying to cover tight ends and slot receivers, and, and it just backs, went badly. Yeah. It's terrible. The, the numbers, Glenn, real quick. The, the five games that Patricia ran the Eagles' defense, Hassan Reddick did not have a sack, did not have a quarterback hit in four of those five games, and never was credited with a pass defended. It's ridiculous. Isn't isn't one of the axioms of coaching in any sport is find out what you do best and maximize it. That's what Bill Belichick has made his football life yeah. doing. Well, there you go. Is and Matt available? Patricia had worked for Bill Belichick and apparently is, didn't is, learn is, very is Belichick much. available? Yeah, so far still yeah. nothing official in Atlanta. Okay. All right. Uh DJ in Pottstown, how are you today? Hey, good morning, uh, Glenn and Mike. Yeah. Morning, DJ. Beautiful morning out here. I'm sitting out drinking coffee. You know what? Um, it's, it's chilly, but it's sunny, and we all – I don't want to say we all survived it like we wouldn't, but it was it was a beautiful snowfall, and a day later we're all pretty good. Easy shoveling. Yeah. Yeah, it was a light, and uh, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a nice yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me get to my point. I, I, I want to I do a little forensic eagle study right now. I, I want – I want to go back in time a little bit. I want to go back to when we were 10 and one and we just before we played the 49ers and everybody was hyped up. We're going to win this game. Let's go. Let's go. Um, I really believe this. I really believe that um, Nick Sirianni's philosophy and scheme changed after the 49ers lost. I, I, I believe that he lost. Um, um, he lost. I, I guess he lost himself and his philosophy and the scheme change of what had got him there. 
And uh, I really believe that. And I think since that time until, you know, until the, the Tampa Bay game, um, you kind of feel like we, I, we lost it. Um, and I believe that the 49ers game started that. Um, and it's hard to get back a philosophy and, and, you know, bring back your scheme and really preach that to the, um, to the players mm-hmm. when things aren't going real well. Here, here's what I would say, DJ. I don't think the 49ers game affected the Eagles from a scheme standpoint as much as it did from a emotional, psychological standpoint. If you remember, and I think I've used this analogy on the show before, it reminded me of the first half of, I know this is going to sound silly, the movie Rocky Three, where Mr. T, Clubber Lang, comes in and beats the snot out of Rocky, and Rocky's been rolling over these tomato cans, and all of a sudden he's doubting himself. All of a sudden he's not the biggest bully on the block anymore. And I think the 49ers' loss did something like that to the Eagles, where after 11 weeks of we're 10-1, and the 49ers are talking smack, but we killed them in the NFC Championship game the year before that, and we know how to win. They just got their blocks knocked off, and it staggered them in a way that they could never recover from. Right, and they went one, one and seven. I mean, it, it just it kind of broke them, um, and we saw it. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I've, been a, I've been an Eagles fan for almost 50 years. I can tell you this. Monday, I knew they were going to lose. I really felt Oh, I think way. we all I, felt they were going to lose. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I picked them to lose. that way before. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. Um, the San Francisco game, to me, and we look back in hindsight, and I think you're right, it, it may have broken them. But to me at the time, it was like, all right, they were due. And it was a clunker, mm-hmm. and they were due, and the Niners were so geeked up for that game. Right. And then you go into Dallas, and, boy, they played really poorly. But you split the season with Dallas. It's like, that's what I would have said going in, so they'll get out of the slump next week in Seattle. And, again, to quote Eddie Murphy, and I'll get the movie right this <laughs> time, because it was coming to America. Aha. Yeah. That was it. That was the one that broke them. They killed, and they had the chance to win that game. And when they lost that game, it was – affirmation that somehow they were in direction of going from a team that was considered the best in the league to maybe the worst team in the league. And that's initially, Glenn, why I didn't think that replacing Sean Desai with Matt Patricia was necessarily a panic move. It wasn't because I had such confidence in Matt Patricia. It was because they had just lost so badly to the two teams who you figured they were going to be competing against for the NFC crown. And I said to myself, okay, they got their doors blown off by both of these teams. They don't have a difficult game between now and the playoffs. If Patricia can figure out how to narrow the gap between the Eagles and the 49ers or the Eagles and the Cowboys, then this will have been a move worth making. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but you have to take that chance. What I didn't count on was how badly everything would go over those next four weeks. Everything. Everything except the punter and the kicker. Yeah. The, p- the punter and the kicker were the great. The punter was great, and the kicker is always great. And I heard somebody on the station say earlier this week, is it possible that the kicker was your MVP? Is Jake Elliott the MVP? Who's the MVP of the Eagles this year? Oh, man. Think about it. We'll, we'll get back yeah. to it. Think about it. I don't want you to answer it okay. off the top of your head. I want you to think about that. We'll talk to Terry and Brumall. You're on with Mike and Glenn. Hey, Terry. Terry, you with us? Terry is listening to his radio, which is not what you should be doing. You should be ready to come on. We're going to come back. We're going to tell you some great TV we're watching. Mike's going to tell you who he thinks should be the MVP of the Eagles. I have to come up with someone. Gosh. Uh, 
you got 50, more difficult. You got fifty-three guys in about five minutes to figure it out. Dom. No. Two one five five nine two ninety four ninety four. What we're watching coming up next on ninety four WIP. All right, what we're watching, sponsored by Guided Door and Window. Take advantage of Guided Door and Window's big winter sale through January. Receive 40% off all windows and doors. Call 1-877-GO-GUIDA or visit them at goguida.com. Before we get into anything, and you've got a documentary to recommend and i got a show to recommend, I want to say that uh, in the last week I finally finished up Season 5 of Fargo, mm-hmm. which I had reviewed here weeks ago. It's great and whatever else i recommend or have recommended over the last three months six months fargo is the best thing of all of them wow you should watch fargo it's on hulu fx uh you don't have to have watched the first four seasons they're all entirely independent Mm -hmm. um juno temple who was in ted lasso is the star this year along with john ham everybody knows these two actors they're great. And Juno Temple, who you knew as this, you know, British girl in Ted Lasso, does Minnesota Nice really well. Anything Mike and I are going to tell you in the next 10 minutes is not as important as me telling you to watch Fargo. <laughs> so okay. I-, I can say this real quick, Len, before you get to the show that you've seen. No, you I- go first. I am now three episodes into the second season of The Bear. Oh, well, there you go. Finally coming around to it, which is on FX and Hulu, and it is every bit as good as you said it was. I can't wait to finish the season. My wife and I are just great show, loving every minute of it. Uh, that was my number one show of 2022. Yes. And by the way, apparently the Emmys agreed. It's, it swept the Emmys yep. along with Secession, which I also love, those two shows, and Beef, which I haven't watched yet. Which no, I, I haven't either. Should. Okay. Anyway, you uh, sat down and watched a, a an intellectually stimulating documentary this week. This has become much more than I did. Yeah, this has become my thing. I I kind of alternate between stand up comic specials and documentaries. Yeah. Uh, but this one this week was one that's kind of close to my heart, uh, personally and professionally. The documentary is on Netflix, and it's called Radical Wolf, and it is about the writer and author Tom Wolf, who for a relatively long period of time, I would say probably throughout the 1970s into the 1980s, might have been the most famous writer in America. You're talking about a guy who pioneered a new way of writing in journalism. He wrote about uh, the composer Leonard Bernstein in the Black Panthers in a dinner that they had. He did a book called The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test. He did The Right Stuff, which, of yeah. course, turned Phenomenal. into a terrific movie as you know, well. That's his favorite book is Ray. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like Ray's all-time favorite book. It, it is an amazing you, book. You still haven't said my favorite Tom Wolfe book. Uh, the Bonfire of the Vanities, yeah. which came out in 1987, was his first novel, sold a couple million copies. It was a phenomenon. And the documentary gets into Wolfe's life, how he did his job, where he kind of fell on the sociopolitical cultural scale. And it it really harkens back to a time when writers and intellectuals became celebrities. They have all these clips <laughs> of Tom Wolfe on the Tonight Show. Yeah. Or with uh Dick Cavett yeah, or we had William a really F smart talk show back then. William F. Buckley. Yeah. All these people who 
we're having these kind of intellectually stimulating yeah, conversations. I, I, and I miss those days. <laughs> I, I mean, now it's, it's like now if you're a dunce, you get more national time. Yeah, you do. You do. And anyway, I had, uh, when I was in, I can remember reading the right stuff when I was in grade school. I did in high Wait, school. you read that in grade school? I read it in seventh That's grade. Pretty, okay. Yeah. Fairly um, precocious. Well, it was like five years, ten years after it had come out. The movie was still popular at the time. I did my high school English thesis on Wolf. Um, so I have loved his work for a long, long time. And the documentary is only about an hour and ten minutes but it's absolutely terrific, and it shows the impact that a great writer can have on American society. So I would highly recommend nice. it. Nice. Where would I watch that? Netflix. Netflix. Okay. Nice. By the way, last night I finally started diving into Oppenheimer, which I had oh. not yet seen. My, oh. We got about two hours in. We started watching late, so it's like I can see my wife dozing there toward the end. I say, like, all right, we're going to turn this off. We'll finish it tonight. It is, it's pretty amazing. It's going to win every Oscar. I oh, think. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and all the people in it. You and I were talking about this before the show. It's like, okay, I know it stars. The, the guy it stars is an Irish guy. I don't remember his Killian name. Murphy. Right. He does, for an Irish guy, he does American pretty well. American Jewish pretty well, yes. Yes, yes. And um, it's got Brian, uh, Robert Downey Jr. is amazing in that. It took me a while to recognize him. But, it, it but thro- he's great. It throws you off because there are so many famous actors yes. who have so many relatively insignificant parts in the movie yeah. that you see Rami Malek. Or yeah. Emily Blunt, and you say, "Ooh, this must be a major character." Mm-hmm. And then you're like, "Matt where Damon, they, Matt Damon, where did they go? Yeah. Like he had two lines, and he's gone." Yeah, yeah, it's so far so great. But I don't need to tell people that. But here's what I'll tell you about today. Uh, over the last few weeks, between Flyers, Sixers game, Eagles games, I've watched a uh, potboil of a show called "Fool Me Once," eight parts, about forty five minutes each on Netflix. British production. I'm always big on British. TV. You, your British cop shows are uh, my stand-up comics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, based on a novel by Harlan Coben of the same name, Fool Me Once. Harlan Coben has a deal with Netflix where they turn all of his novels into series. Since 2016, he's had seven of them that have turned into Netflix shows. He signed a deal to flip 14 of his books. Wow. Yeah, see, this is what you need. With I know. Uh, Tell me. Anybody need a Tell Kobe Bryant miniseries? <laughs> Hello. Fingers crossed. All right, it's a lesson for you. Um, and they do a book a year. And I've seen a few of them. The Stranger was really good. Stay Close was good. Safe was good. This one's kind of right in the middle. By the way, I will give props and thanks. The person who turned me on to the author, Harlan Coben, I read his books mm-hmm. and I watch these miniseries, was Jody. Oh, okay. Jody, uh, I remember like one summer I was, I think I was on Cape Cod and like, I don't know what to do. And I, I tweeted like, who knows, a, I need a good beach book. And Jody said Harlan Coben and I read one and I read another and I read another. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, by the way, from New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, and he writes really good stuff. This is what I would call a popcorn drama. And I think I've said that to you before. It's not too deep, but it's fun. There's mm-hmm. a lot of twists and turns. I say that because you sit there, you know, throwing popcorn sure. in your mouth as you're watching it. Don't look too close at the loose ends. You know, you need a little plausible deniability at points or, you know, right. to enjoy it. But it's, as they say, and I love this phrase, it's a pulse pounder. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, the plot centers on a, a woman. She's a former British Air Force pilot with a bit of a deep secret. And she winds up a widow when her husband is killed by muggers in the park. Except when she's looking um, maybe a month later, at her toddler on footage on a nanny cam, there's her husband. 
Mm. There's her presumably dead husband. He shows up. Is he dead or alive? Who killed him? Why is this happening? As I said, a lot of twists and turns. Uh, there's other murders. There's a big pharma scandal. There's the the super rich woman that you can hate, right? You always need that. <laughs> Gotta villain. have someone like that. Yes. Oh, this is the stuck up British pharma magnate who you can you can just despise. There's a, a cop who keeps blacking out and fainting. It's, it's some very good acting. I didn't recognize most of the actors. The guy who plays the dead husband, or is he? is a guy named Richard Armitage, who was in all the Hobbit movies, mm-hmm. which means I didn't ever see any. No, I didn't see the Lord okay, of the Rings but people, people who saw the Hobbit movies, he's in all those. Anyway, the bottom line is that Fool Me Once is good entertainment on a, on a winter night when there's no Flyers or Sixers you want to watch. Eight parts, fun, Netflix, I give it a 7 out of 10. Okay. Right? Not classic TV, right. but good, fun, you know, whodunit stuff. Gotcha. I can go for that. I mean, I still watch my Law and Order reruns from the mid nineteen nineties. Yes, so. as does my wife. Yeah, love it. They're on like twenty. It's it's one of those shows like Seinfeld where you turn on TV, it's on somewhere. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. right. And it's background noise, and then I'll I'll watch the final five minutes to hear Sam Waterston say and murder like he's drunk, and it's wonderful. She she doesn't like the um the the Law and Order SVU. I've never SUV watched it or whatever. No, I take my Law Law and Order neat. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, I think that's what she likes, too. Uh, Let's get to Ed in Winslow. Hey, Ed. Good morning, Glenn and Mike. How are you today? We're good. We're great, Ed. Thanks. Fantastic. Hey, listen, I just wanted to bring this up. Wanted the dust to settle a little bit with the fans because I know it's been an emotional week. But, um, you know, when you're uh, you're talking about the Eagles, I I think something has has not been brought up. At least I haven't heard. And that is playing for the fan base. Our fan base is so fantastic. How those guys can go out there and give the effort that they had the last two months and not think, you know, and maybe I'm old-fashioned thinking that way, Glenn, but uh, I really feel bad for the fans who had to put up with it. You know, a lot of our people travel. They pay good money to watch this team. And from that standpoint, you know, just take some pride in it and go out and play for us. And it didn't look like they did that at all. I'll say this, Ed. Look, I, I don't like questioning players' effort. Uh, and I think a lot of the problems that you see from the Eagles in those last seven weeks, it's similar to what happens when the Phillies are in the playoffs. You know, it's happened over the last couple of years, for instance, when they start striking out a lot, you think they're not putting in full effort when what's really happening is they're just not performing well and it looks like they're not giving a full effort. Uh, But I will say this, you know, the guys who – have the longest and most appreciation for the fan base are Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, and Fletcher Cox. And, you know, Kelsey and Lane weren't maybe at the standard they had been the year before, but they were still pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, and those guys have been around a long time. Asking them to be the, the centerpiece of turning this thing around is asking a little much. At some point, the guys who are in their primes have to be the ones who do that. Yeah, the other point I wanted to bring up was um, you really want to talk about accountability and, and what's going on right now. I think the Eagles have to look across the parking lot at what the Flyers are doing. I mean, I've become a huge fan of John Tortorella. Not really much of a hockey fan to begin with, but what he's accomplished and and since the end of last year and what they've done this year, uh, I, I think you know he's taken the players, he's taken them to another level, especially a team that a lot of these guys are returning. They haven't really been winners. But the accountability is there. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of 
you know, especially the Eagles, I think, could look at and say, look, there should be some accountability here. And this is interesting. This is interesting because you preface this by saying you're not a big hockey fan, but the culture of the organization and the team is drawing you in. Yes. That's interesting. Good yes, stuff. Very much so. Hey, and, uh, go ahead. If I, if, you know, we were talking about the Flyers earlier on. There might be some moves made. Um, this this guy Walker has been playing defense for us in, in Philadelphia. He's really good this year, having a good year. But I think he's either in the, in the last year of a contract or pretty close. I wouldn't be surprised if they moved him, uh, considering how well he's played and some of the things you talked about earlier, Mike. And uh, finally, Glenn, real quick. We had a real good center here in Philadelphia for 10 years. The guy was named Guy Morris. Yeah, um, he was a good player. He was player. good as Jason Kelsey, but, you know. He, he, really he was, he was good. He was not. And thank you. Guy Morris was a, a very solid middle-of-the-line uh, you know, center guy on, yeah. on a team that went to a Super Bowl and had a really good offensive line. But Jason Kelsey's a Hall of Famer. Guy yeah. Morris was oh, absolutely maybe made a Pro Bowl or two. Jason Kelsey is going to go down as one of the great players in the history of the franchise. Um they're going to retire numbers someday, mm-hmm. uh, or another number someday, and um, they retired McNabb, right? When he came here, did they I retire? I think five. They did? Yeah, I think so. Or they I, put him in the Ring of Honor. They may not have. Yeah, retired they put him in the number. Ring of Honor. I mean, nobody's yeah, worn. They retired the number. They the, did retire the, the number. The number five will always love you. Well, I know he said that, but he. No, no, that yeah, was, that it was is, the night it they is retired. retired. Okay. It I, is. I remember retired, the yes. night. I remember him referring to himself in the third person or the third number. That was the night they retired the number. Okay, okay. So that's the last one they did. Kelsey's got to be the next one they do. Can they not retire 62 and retire the Mummer's costume? Oh, God, that would be great. (laughs) I don't think that's coming back either. No, but it would be so great just to hang that up, you know, instead of the number – you get the mummer hat. It that hangs would, the links for everybody every game. would know. Yeah. Everybody would know forever what that is. It, absolutely. That is the moment that Jason Kelsey went beyond just being a really good player to being a, a Philadelphia cultural icon. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. God love him. Yeah, I'll miss him. By the way, he has not announced that he's retiring, I would think, at this point. The odds that he is going to retire got to be over 90%, well, right? It would be a stunner if he says, no, I'm coming back. Travis Kelsey was in a press conference yesterday where someone asked him about that, and he said, I don't know. I think the big guy still got some football left in him. And people on social media reacted like this was a genuine insight into what Jason might be thinking as opposed to the likelihood that Travis Kelsey is being kind of wink-wink you well, know. he added if he wants, right? Yeah, I think he, he was does. like he has football left him if he wants. Right, right. I, I would be surprised if Jason came back. I, I really would. I'd, I'd be I, shocked. Yeah. Again, I, I put it at ninety-five-five. The yeah. consensus being he does not want to come back, but yeah. Kelsey's saying like, oh, he could. Yeah, that's that's not it's a nothing to me. Yeah, I, I, that's I, there. I, there was an I forget where it was. I forget if it was an article or a podcast, but it revealed it was an interview with Jason in which he said every time. The Eagles ran the tush push this season. He would scream, "Bleep my life!" <laughs> and it's and it's because you can feel the years coming off at right. the end. Like <laughs> on the one hand, right? It's 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 funny and it gives you an insight into what actually happens in on that play and on NFL plays as a whole. On the other hand, there's a part of me that says he doesn't want to do that anymore. I mean, he's talked openly. Those offensive linemen, Lane Dickerson, Lane Johnson, have talked openly about how. Hard that play is on them to run. How yeah. punishing it is. Why would he want to put himself through it anymore? If he retires, does that play retire? Maybe. 
Yeah, maybe. Is Cam I mean, Jurgens going to do it as well as Jason Kelsey can? It won't be retired, but it's not going to look as good. Well, will they still do it? it they do I think it they because will it try. Works, right? It, I know it didn't work against Tampa, but it worked this year, what, 34 out of 36 or something like that. The numbers were phenomenal. Yeah. If Jason Kelsey retires, and we all agree it's not going to be as effective, if it's only 75% effective or 60% effective, do you stop doing it? It will or certainly phase. It, right. It'll you, phase out in certain situations, yeah. I mean, you're not going to well, see it. On, you know where it's going to phase out? Fourth and two, fourth and one. Right. That's right. where you won't they'll, see it. They'll keep trying it to see if it still but works. But not in as high leverage did. spots necessarily. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. That's okay. a good point. Yeah, what a player. A whole right. lot of change coming. A whole lot of change coming as we sit here and we wait and we are now, uh, how many days? One, two, three, five. Five. Five days. I was actually going to do the hours. 96. We're about 88 hours since the Eagles lost to the Bucks, and we continue to wait to see what, if any, announcement is coming. Coming up at noon, by the way, we'll talk to Jeff McClain. If anybody has a sense of what's going to be the future, he's the guy. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now, 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 on 94WIP. Hey, if the cold weather has you thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafty windows and doors, there is no better time than now to make your home more energy efficient while taking advantage of Guida's big winter sale. The great people at Guida Door and Window, they're extending the big winter sale through January by offering 40% off every window and door you buy. That's right. Receive 40% off each expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window that also includes free high-performance low-E glass. If you're in need of a new door, you get 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can take advantage of Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans to get your project started with no money out of pocket. Offers for limited time only, so you must act quickly. If your home needs new windows or doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. He was the gunner on that last punt return, and he was the first guy down, but Gunnar Oshevsky gave him a little move to get by him, and immediately he went down and he grabbed the knee right at the end of that play. He is such a talented rookie. So dedicated. Well, that is Merrill and Mike talking about Sidney Brown, the Eagles rookie safety. The injury that you just heard occurred uh, a couple weeks ago against the New York Giants. As you heard, he was going down on kick coverage. And it turns out, tore his ACL. This is when we are joined by one of our friendly docs from Cooper Bone and Joint, Dr. Mark Pollard is with us today. How you doing, Doc? I hope, hope you didn't have to shovel too much snow. No, finally, the, my sons are old enough to help out a little bit. There you uh, go. 27 <laughs> and 25? Uh, not quite. Okay. <laughs> my anyway. t- Doc, my 12-year-old went around and shoveled somebody else's driveway and not mine. I'm failing as a parent, I have to say. Did they pay him? They did, so not so bad. <laughs> so now we know. All right, so Sidney Brown, uh, on the play you just heard, sustained a torn ACL. Surgery is expected to play, take place this week, they're going to reconstruct and make a new ACL, I guess. Uh, explain to us the procedure. And by the way, I've had several ACL surgeries, so whatever you say, I've probably heard. But explain to us what it is and, in his case, what we might anticipate as a recovery time. Sure. Yeah, <clears throat> the ACL is, you know, it stands for anterior cruciate ligament. It's one of the 
more important ligaments that kind of stabilizes and holds the knee joint together. Uh, by definition, a ligament is a piece of tissue like a rope that connects two bones together. In this case, it connects the femur or the thigh bone to the tibia or the shin bone. And it essentially prevents the uh, tibia, the bottom bone, from sliding forward in relation to the femur. And so it's torn most of the time with like a non-contact type injury. Um, somebody is trying to change direction rapidly or stop when they're, when they're running. Um, and I'm sure you can look up YouTube videos and see uh, a myriad of those kind of uh, things happening. That was me shifting direction when I was running. Yep, 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 that mm -hmm. happens, right? You lived, you lived it. Um, and so, you know, when it's torn, you know, there's some ligaments in the body that have the capacity to heal on their own. Um, uh, most of the time, like the MCL or the medial collateral ligament can heal without surgery. But the ACL, because of where it is, it's in the middle of the, the knee joint, it doesn't really heal on its own. Uh, when it tears, it doesn't tear like a sheet of paper where the ends line up perfectly. It, it tears like a couple of mop ends usually. Mm. And oh. so, yeah, so it, it doesn't heal. And usually you can't just stitch it back together again. It'd be like trying to put a rope back together when all the fibers are torn. So uh, to treat it, most of the time you have to do what's called an ACL reconstruction, which is building a new ACL. And um, most of the time for young, active people, like professional athletes, we use a strip of their own tissue. Uh, most of the time it's a tendon. Um, most commonly a piece of the patellar tendon is used. Um, sometimes a piece of the quadriceps or a hamstring can be used. And essentially you just drill tunnels in the, in the bone in the middle of the joint in the place where the ACL attaches and you string that piece of tissue you know, between those tunnels to make the new new ACL. Um, and so uh, it's fixed usually with either screws or, or buttons, things to kind of hold the graft solidly in place because one of the really important things after a ACL surgery is getting the knee moving almost right away to prevent the stiffness from setting in. And so, um, you know, the, the rehab and the physical therapy that comes after is just about as important as the surgery itself. Dr. Sidney Brown is only 23 years old. How much easier, so to speak, does that make his rehab compared to an athlete who suffers a torn ACL who might be 28, 29, even as much as 35 years old? Well, as, as we've seen, you know, the younger people are, the more likely they are to bounce back a little bit easier from the surgery or the insult of surgery, frankly. Um, and heal a little bit quicker. So, um, you know, there's always more optimism. The flip side of that is that, you know, the younger people are, the longer they're going to have to be going around on this knee that is, you know, compromised. No matter how good or well you can reconstruct an ACL, it's never quite the same as the one you were born with. And so, you know, there's increased risk of arthritis at an earlier age uh, when you have an ACL injury and things like that. So, um, on the one hand, you know, it's uh, optimistic that the, the healing will go more quickly and uh, a little bit better. But the flip side of that is other things can happen down the line. Yeah, I know that. Again, I know that personally. Dr. Mark Pollard, thank you so much. Uh, and, and congratulations on getting sons who shovel your driveway. That's good work. That's a big step. Yeah, thank there you. you. All right. Be well, <laughs> thanks, doctor. He got his sons to sh shovel his driveway. I got my older son to shovel somebody else's for 20 Yeah, but bucks. it's it's enterprising. 
It is. Right? Yeah, it's the first time he's done something like that. Yeah. I'm proud of Evan for doing that. Right. He and a couple friends went around the neighborhood and looked for houses where the driveways hadn't been shoveled yet and offered their services. And So who shoveled your driveway? I did. Yeah. Your kids got the same amount of money that the people in Buffalo are getting to shovel the stadium. Yeah, but I don't think it took him just an hour. I think he was out there a little longer than that. He came out, his ears had fallen off when he got back. So, oh, so um, I, I, I shovel like just in front, my, like my, my front porch or whatever, but there's a neighborhood kid who's really nice and, and does a terrific job of it. Mm-hmm. And I always appreciate him actually too when we get them. But yesterday, there was a guy in our neighborhood. Mike Max, Mike, you know who you are, <laughs> who got out his snowblower oh. and just kept going around the block and do it. Because I live on a corner. I have yeah. a short driveway, but I'm on a corner, so I have a long sidewalk that mm-hmm. goes all around. And he just, like, went down and then went back. And then, like, an hour later, he did a lap around the block again. And, like, what a guy. Just I, did everybody. I have to say, Glenn, shoveling the driveway mm-hmm. is something. Every is town's a, the best. Is a physical uh piece of physical labor i really don't mind doing i used to like it i'm not that my my doctor said like don't yeah seriously and this is me really being serious um they recommend once you hit 50 don't you're not quite there you really shouldn't do it Mm -hmm. and and there was there was somebody in my neighborhood who several years ago was in his 50s and he had a heart attack and he died and it's like this is not where i want to go yeah this is not the time or the place that i want to go I am happy to be- Braden, you're on call. I'm paying <laughs> Charlie, be ready. I'm paying I, I the neighborhood say, kids. I will They're say good this. Kids. When it snows, one of the make or break moments of any storm, I find, is when you are going to shovel your driveway. Mm-hmm. You put the shovel against the ground for the first time, <laughs> and you learn what kind of snow right. it is. Yes. Is this going to be easy, uh, or am I going to be out here for three hours? Water-soaked, heavy stuff exactly. that'll kill you. Yeah, yesterday was powder. It was. It was. It was relatively easy. Was I nice. did it pretty quickly. It was beautiful too. It was Gorgeous. Like pretty everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like three days from now when it all turns gray. It looks like. Oh know. God, yeah. Was... Get the slush on the side of the road. Yeah. yeah right. Get nice, that, grimy. Right, and that stuff underneath your wheel wells that just kind of hangs there. and just plops right down wherever you know. Every, everyone's the car, the you color know, starts peeling off. There yeah. was a year once when we used to do wing bowl, when Angelo and Al and Rhea used to do the tryouts in studio. And you oh. had you had to compete, right? So like, come in and eat a pizza wrapped around a cheesesteak. You pitch like, an eating stunt. Yeah, yeah they, people would pitch their own stunts, and they would do stuff. There mm-hmm. was a guy who came in. I don't remember his name, and I don't really want to. Who his stunt was? He took the slush that was around the w- the wheel of the car, and made a snow cone out of it and ate it. Oh God! Yeah, the goal isn't to be. Even more disgusting than already eating this food in a short period of time. Well, like, wing not, bowl was what it was. You know. No, I know. But it was a time and place. You could eat a you, you, you could you eat have, a sanitary snow cone I that fast. Say, you have no idea what's in that slush. Well, there could be poison in it. Well, that's how you get in a wing bowl. Oh my god! You, you want in or not? That was it. No, I don't want in. Did he get in? I know someone who wants They don't in. serve that flavor at Rita's. <laughs> did did, did right. he get in? I don't remember. Did he do it? I don't. <laughs> That's the punchline. I, really, I want to get Aaron and Norris done because we're we're going to be up uh, with uh, with um... the break. Yeah. What do you got, Aaron? How are you? Good morning, good morning, gentlemen. Hey, real quick on Fargo though, you got to talk about Dave Foley and Jennifer Jason Lee and the star Sam Spruill. But I want to. Yeah. Remember, Jennifer yeah, Jason that. Lee was a whole different kind of character in this thing. Yes. Absolutely. So anyway, believe it or not, which I I keep calling you weekly about the Flyers. What a goal by Tippett the other night. They're not only winning, they're beating teams consistently. Like, 
unlike the uh, Eagles season where they were screeching by, this team is competing and outplaying most teams they play. Five and to one against Dallas, and that you know I know you're Dallas, home, but well, it was after winning three games on the road. Yeah, here's Dallas is the third highest scoring team in the NHL. Yeah. They scored more goals in the third period than any team has scored in any period. Flyers shut them out, dominated them, literally sent them home with their tail between their legs. And today, Glenn, the Philadelphia Flyers in game 45, I believe, are playing for first place in their division. They will tie the Rangers with a win today at 58 points. This team has to start talking about maybe adding a sniper for the playoff run. No, 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 Aaron. Aaron, we got to hit a break. Uh, real quick, because we got to go. I said maybe, number one, but the biggest point is they are playing for first place today. The barn will be packed. It'll be electric. Hockey is back in Philadelphia. There you I go. hope this station starts covering it. Back. I appreciate it. It's going to be a tough road for them to maintain this, only because they, they come at teams in waves. They play their butts off every single game. It is hard to sustain that. That's all I'm saying. Slushy Shelley. Slushy Shelley was yes, the name of the Joe, guy? Joe Conklin just texted me. Slushy Shelley. Wow. I don't, I, don't, know. I, don't, I don't know who he is, but I don't, I don't want to know him. By the way, Ray Didinger and I will be joining Joe Conklin mm. this next Friday, January 26th, at the Madeline Wing Adler Theater, Westchester University. 7 to 8, Ray and I are going to sign some books. I actually got some books of mine to sign. 8 o'clock is going to be the show with Joe Conklin and the City Rhythm Orchestra. Make sure that you go. It'll be a great time. There you go. 215-592-9494. We'll talk to Jeff McLean coming up. Mike and Glenn on 94 WIP. And I'm going to tell you that uh, I recorded a commercial recently with the people from Meridian Bank. Um, terrific business. Uh, along with one of their business banking customers. And I've met a lot of people who work with Meridian Bank business owners. Every time I'm just blown away at how highly they speak of Meridian Bank and their relationship. Look, knowing the team of people at Meridian, it's no surprise they're the preferred bank of businesses and entrepreneurs. Meridian itself, they're entrepreneurial. They know how to listen to great ideas and understand innovative thinking. Learn how Meridian Bank can help your business succeed at meridianbanker.com. Mayfield screams something out to Moore. Comes back, takes the snap. He's back. Here comes the rush. He puts it in the air, and it is caught. Touchdown! He got it to Chris Godwin. He threw off his back foot. Godwin was at the goal line. He merely turned around, and the ball hit him in the head. Oh, the hits just keep coming. Merrill sounded strangely enthusiastic about calling that touchdown. Well, what's he going to do? Merrill, Mer- listen, he had I, to get Mer- enthusiastic about something. Mer- I, I was going to say, Merrill didn't have much the Eagles gave him that he could enjoy, so he had to do his best to kind of do that. All right, so we are joined now by Jeff McLean, which I appreciate. Uh, Jeff does a terrific job covering the Eagles for the Philadelphia Inquirer. I don't appreciate it. Follow him on Twitter as – I'm not looking. Jeff underscore McLean, I got that right? Yeah, that's that would be correct. There you go. All right, so, I mean, Jeff, before we get into the particulars of what we have seen, let's get into any kind of info, thought you may have of – what may be coming out of NovaCare Center, and maybe more importantly, when we may hear something? Yeah, I mean, from my understanding is that Jeffrey Lurie met with Nick Sirianni yesterday. I spoke to someone who was in the building, and, and by the time they left, they had no update for me on, on where things stood. Um, you know, I, I think yeah, there's a very real possibility that, if, you know, if Nick stays, they're not going to say anything. Uh, we will obviously know 
once we hear about the coordinators and the assistants, what that says about Nick's, Nick's future. But if they're keeping him, they don't want to make an announcement. They don't want to add any more additional pressure to Nick heading into a year, uh, you know, one that obviously would be labeled with him on the hot seat. And if he goes, then, yeah, we will find, we'll find that out. Um, I think that's more, more likely what in terms of, of the messaging that's going to come from the NovaCare complex once, the, once they've made a decision. Jeff, is there anything Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman can do if they bring Nick back? to take some of the heat off him. Our colleague Dave Murphy suggested that if you're going to bring him back, you probably ought to give him a contract extension so that everybody knows ah! <laughs> so All that right. everybody knows that he's got Jeffrey's support. Where do you come down on that? Well, yeah, so I had found out not too long ago that when Chip Kelly and Howie Roseman had the power struggle and they decided to go with Chip, that Jeffrey did do that. Um, he did offer Chip a contract extension, and he turned it down. Wow. Uh, which in turn affected the rest of the coaching staff. And and so, um, it, you know, because I always thought that keeping Howie in the building kind of undermined Chip to some extent. But Chip, but Jeffrey was smart enough to know that you know, he was he was going to if he had if he had to show support for for Chip Kelly. That given him an extension, and it made sense after two ten and ten, ten and six seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say it was obvious, but it certainly would have been something that everyone would have, would have understood, especially when he decided to kind of double down and give Chip uh, control over personnel. So, yeah, I, I you know, typically at some point, what what Jeffrey likes to do is to align the contract uh, contract lengths of the head coach and the general manager. They did it for Doug Peterson and Howie Roseman. In 2000, and I believe after the 2018 season, heading into 2019, uh, it's possible, and then they could sell it. You know, this guy's got 34 and 17 record in the regular season. He's gone to the postseason three straight years, nearly won the Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah, I mean, they could sell it. I, I know that that probably would not uh, <laughs> bringing back Nick right now doesn't seem to be something that would. Um, make the masses happy and, and giving an extension uh, not wouldn't either, but, uh, you know, they've done things obviously that have, that have not been popular with the public. Jeff, don't speculate any more than you want to, but obviously this is the question that people are going to ask everybody in your educated opinion through your eyes and through your research. Where do you think this ends up over the next week? It's, it's tough to tell. Um, yeah, I, I guess some of the messaging I had gotten from some sources in the building and, and around the league was that eh, I, I could see Jeffrey leaning on bringing him back. Um, you know, I think the longer maybe it goes, these next these next pivotal 48 hours could could spell uh, could say the opposite in terms of of what Nick's future may be. Hmm. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to be based upon what happened during that meeting. Did did Nick go in? willing to make the changes uh, necessary uh, to satisfy Jeffrey Lurie. We saw, obviously, um, with Doug Peterson, that wasn't the case in 2020. Uh, he went into that meeting with Jeffrey pretty much, cons- you know, not convinced, but you know, willing to kind of bring him back. If he had strong candidates for those coordinator positions, Doug had, did have candidates, but it wasn't – I don't think he did a lot of work on them. And, and I think that wasn't to just Jeffrey's satisfaction. Uh, he wanted to see more work and effort put into that. And Doug, you know, I hire my coaches. I want to be responsible for my coaches. At that point, I think he'd been, had been sick of Jeffrey kind of 
influencing some of the decisions that he had made on his coaching staff, and that was it. And Jeffrey moved on. Nick is a different animal than Doug. Um, you know, I, I put out, I tweeted out a quote from Jeffrey that he made during his last public uh, press conference back in March, and when he was asked about Nick, and he glowingly gave this endorsement of him. Obviously, everything he's done in two years, he's a grinder, et cetera. And one example of that is how he grinds in in interviewing his assistants, and you know, in the linebacker, uh, you know, position when he was trying to fill that that assistant coach position, he. I, I talked to him and he just interviewed his 12th linebacker coach 12th. And, you know, so, and that, I think that tells you a little bit about, you know, what Jeffrey thinks of Nick's process. Now that being said, uh, you know, the, I guess the 12th guy he interviewed wasn't good enough. Um, and, and my guess is that if Nick comes back the almost the entire defensive staff will have to be remade, but in Nick's defense too, I mean, they were put in a tough spot playing so late in the postseason, and then and not only beyond that, just, you know, Doug, P, excuse me, Jonathan Gannon getting a job, and that happened so late in the process, they weren't even thinking uh, about who they might have to replace at those positions. Hey, and Nick Rouse is a Gannon. very good linebackers coach. You still blame Gannon. You still blame Gannon. We're talking to well, Jeff. We're talking no, to Jeff I mean, McClain. But it, I yeah. know. I we know. got you. We got you. We're talking to Jeff McClain from the Inquirer, the uh, terrific Eagles beat reporter. Jeff, we're talking entirely about Nick's future. And as the head coach, he's going to oversee all of this and be responsible for a team that loses six of its last seven games. You're as close to this as anybody. Where do you apportion some of the credit, so to speak, or blame to Howie Roseman, to Jalen Hurts, to other circumstances? It's very easy to be reductive about this and say they've got to change the head coach. I'm not, and I'm not saying they should or they shouldn't. But from your perspective, where else did this go wrong? Yeah, and that and that's obviously something that Jeffrey ha- Jeffrey Lurie is going to have to look at, and, and he you know he he knows a lot. I don't think he's going to know everything because you know <laughs> a lot of it's going to depend upon how it's presented to him. How he's not he's closest to Howie Roseman, uh, obviously. Uh, that's the person he talks to most about the, about the franchise. Um, that's the person he knows the best in terms of those key positions in the organization. So, you know, how is Howie presenting uh, what he's done to Jeffrey and, and et cetera. Um, but if you're looking at it objectively, yes. I mean, Howie certainly has to, has to take some of uh, shoulder, some of what happened down the stretch here. I think certainly on the defensive side of the ball, he just didn't do a good enough job. Um, like he wasn't going to be able to bring everybody back who, who hit free agency last year um, with the John Hurts contract. And, and, and quite frankly, I mean, when you look at this, how he's done a great job in the salary, salary cap, he's got great minds working under him and they seem to always find ways. Um, and Jeffrey, but Jeffrey affords him a lot of leeway in terms of like pushing money forward in the future years. And I think those, those chickens may have come home with the roost. So they're starting to come home with the roost. And that's why he wasn't able to make the roster strong as as he should have. And, and the reason why he's pushed a lot of money forward is because he has given out some bad contracts. If, if we're looking at this again, from, from an objective point of view, and then the decisions that were made in terms of who he brought in uh, either in this, you know, in the off season or in, in season. I mean, Kevin Byer just was not good enough. Uh, Shaq Leonard was, was, you know, didn't do anything. Um, Nicholas Morrow uh, was not a very good, uh, you know, linebacker and, and et cetera. You can go down the line, I think, in terms of what you're looking at. And then the, the draft, you know, I mean, he's brought in some talented players, and, and I think some of that falls on coaching. Um, but, you know, Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis 
you know, they wore down as, as, as the season yeah. went on. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of Jalen Hurts, yeah, absolutely. Um, he, you know, if you're looking at it objectively, he, he has to take some of the blame of what happened this, this past year. I mean, look, the offense did not change much in terms of personnel. They, cha- they have the offensive coordinator that basically Jalen Ham picked, right? Yep. You have the best offensive line. You have one of the two of the best receivers in the NFL, a great a pro Bowl caliber tight end, a very good running back. You have a scheme that's built around, to much extent, your abilities. You know, Jalen's got to take some blame. Oh, yeah. It can't be hey, all on Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson. Jeff, I want to play something for you, and I know that you've, you've written some about the culture of the locker room and as Nick lost the team and all of that. During the broadcast, Troy Aikman said something that I found really interesting. Let's, let's play this. Well, they're just kind of having their way, and it's what we talked about, Joe, that – you know, I've been on teams that have gone into the postseason and have not been playing very good football. And, of course, that's where the Eagles are. And if you don't have something happen right away, then you just feel like, well, it's the same thing we've been going through for the last six weeks and why we're in this position. And that's what I'm feeling right now watching this team on both sides of the ball. There's nobody that I've seen yet that looks through their body language that they're really into this ball game. There's nobody that came to play. There's nobody that's into this ball game. We all saw that ourselves. So, you know, kind of separate from the personnel and so or not separate from the personnel. What what did you see as time went along with the culture of the team, the body language of the team, the morale of the team? And is there a reason to believe Nick Sirianni could fix that? Yeah, it's a fair question. Um and and, and you know, I think the body language especially if you're looking at the quarterback was not great even from the beginning, early in the season. Um, you know, and I, I did a whole bunch of, I wrote a whole story on, on Jalen and, and, and obviously mm-hmm. it's tough for him because he is kind of a stoic guy and people kind of interpret the way he thinks about things based upon, you know, his lack of emotion. But from what I understand, that was him kind of showing his, his frustration with the offense, even, even back in September um so it's not you know it's him it starts obviously with the leaders and then it, it filters on down to the rest of the of the unit and it wasn't it's just not like uh you know how you perform effort etc and there were kind of evident there were some signs of that i thought at the last, last month went down certainly on the defensive side because they just weren't 100 percent on board with what happened in terms of changing the coordinator um, but it's like stuff like you know guys celebrating by themselves or not, you know like it's just you know, you know there was there was no enthusiasm around the team even when things you know, I, when things were going well, you know, as I, you guys have talked about before in my podcast, someone told me it's the most miserable 10 and one team. They, they just don't, they weren't feeling great and believing in themselves. And then obviously when things went down, they just came to even more to a fruition. And that does, you know, it goes to the head coach, right? Um, and that, that has to be one of the major concerns for Jeffrey Lurie as he evaluates this whole entire um, head coach, you know, the head coach and, and what he ha- what needs to be done in this off season. It's, it, you know, there are very strong arguments against bringing Nick Sirianni back based upon that. But to me, and just to really get in the world correct, I think it's got to come for Jeffrey, and I, I think this is what, what he's going to look at it. it. To me, the most important thing is the offensive scheme. That's what, he, that's what has to be fixed here, and that's what he has to decide upon. What's going to be the scheme, and who's going to run the scheme? Jeff, I you know, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just. Yeah, gonna... I think that's the number one question. Okay, so I need to take you in a different direction here, and at some level, I kind of apologize for bringing this up, but I think it would be instructive, kind of, for the audience as well. 
you had an exchange with Fletcher Cox on Wednesday that went viral and they got written up on some websites. Fletch was not happy with a question you asked about Nick Sirianni's future. I'm wondering if you can just briefly describe what happened and why those kinds of things happened, given your role in covering the team and the interactions between athletes and media sometimes. Yeah, again, unfortunately, uh, I, I guess I became a part of the story. That's not my job. I'm a journalist. Uh, I'm a beat reporter. I'm just there to, to cover the team and hopefully ask good questions in, um, in, in that forum and then beyond that um, provide uh, information, uh, you know, analysis, et cetera, to, to, the, to the public. Um, so, you know, I take that very seriously and um, how I view, I, I view the job and how I perform the job. Um, so, you know, I, I don't really even feel comfortable talking about uh, my role in that because, you know, it's fine. You know, like that's, that's Fletcher's right. And, you know, Fletcher's, if this is the end of his career, he will go down as one of the greatest Eagles in, in franchise history. He will certainly be in their Hall of Fame, and he'll, he'll deserve uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, consideration based upon the 12 years that he played in the NFL. Um, so I, you know, I, I, you know, that's Fletcher's right to an, to answer my question that way. Um, and uh, you know, that's, that's pretty much how I stand it. I, I thought the, the question was fair. Um, I've had very little. You know, I mean, not everyone in the locker room may like me or whatever it is, but I, I've never had an issue with players um, before. And um, so that's it. I just can try and continue yeah. to do my job and, and, um, and, and is as, you know, be as unbiased, fair and accurate and honest and truthful and um, objective as I possibly can be. And, well, I, and I know in this in today's world, people want, um, you know, I, I look, fans, you know, it's tough covering, uh, being trying to be a journalist and covering a football team because the large majority of the, of the people who read your stuff are so fanatical about that team. So it's very hard sometimes to hear stuff that you may not want to hear about the team. Um, so I understand that. I completely understand that. Yeah, we liked it better when they went to the Super Bowl. Uh, but you do a great job. And by the way, uh, people should listen to the podcast as well, Uncovering the Birds uh, with Jeff McClain. Jeff, as always, thanks for joining us. And we will be awaiting smoke signals from the Novacare. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, again, I think if if he's staying, I, you know, I, my guess is they'll never ever make an announcement on that. And well, then, um, and then if he's going, going, then obviously, but we, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll yeah, you'll learn, learn. yeah, right, and then we'll, and then we'll understand about where Nick's place is based upon how they handle the coordinator exactly. and, and position coach changes. All right, thanks All right. so much, pal. All right, guys, talk right, to you thanks, well. bud. There you go, Jeff McClain. There you go. He knows, man. He knows. And mm-hmm. he does his job exactly the right way. He's tough. He's tenacious. He's objective. If you don't, it, it always, just not to go on a rant because we're up against a break, but anytime I see criticism of the way Jeff McClain covers the Eagles, um, it makes me angry because there's nobody who's more conscientious about trying to be fair and objective when it comes to covering that football team than Jeff. And anybody who doesn't see that can... With sports. They don't know what they're talking we, we, about. No, we don't want fair and objective always. In no. We want our guys to be great. We want rah-rah, sis, boom, yeah, you know, yeah. Fox News and MSNBC preaching to the choir. 215-592-9494. Tony and John, stick around. We'll get you guys coming right back up after the break. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now 94 WIP. Uh, just a couple notes here. Tomorrow, I will be on with Jody Mack, but not in our usual spot. We are being preempted in the morning by the gambling thing. So Jody and I will have a quick sprint tomorrow from 1 to 2.30. So 
if you want to listen to Mac and Mac, we are on tomorrow. Uh, from you're going to you're gonna talk at one and a half speed for the hour. Yes, and a half. we'll we'll go fast. Uh, one other personal note is I am delighted to announce I'm going to be in another play. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that you came out to see Young Frankenstein. That was a blast. It was terrific. Thank you. It was terrific. I hope your hamstring is recovered. Yeah, I did. I ripped my hamstring on the stage. My hamstring's fine. Uh, this is a bit of a different thing. I've been in a lot of musicals and a lot of comedies. I am doing as serious and poignant and I think important a play as there is. I'm going to be in the Players Club of Swarthmore production of The Diary of Anne Frank. Ah. Uh. Uh, which is going to run from April 19th to May 4th. I am delighted to be part of what I think is a very talented cast with an extremely uh, talented director. I play one of the one of the people who's hiding up in the attic with the Frank family, and we start rehearsals this week, and I'm, as always, delighted to be part of that. Never more relevant or important than yeah. right now. Well, that's the, the timing of this play could not be more important is correct. Uh, Tony in Harrisburg is with us. Hey, Tony. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks. You got it, Tony. I was watching the, the Eagles post-game YouTube show, and Derek Gunn was on, and he said that uh, he is confidential sources who told him uh, in a confidential confidentiality that there are serious internal problems in the Eagles locker room. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. uh well, Jeff, Jeff McLean said, you know, somewhat of the same thing, yeah. I was wondering if anybody uh, was able to shed any light on the, what those in, serious internal problems are. Well, look, uh, I mean, I think, Tony, to a certain degree, it's only going to be speculation unless you're asking Gunner or Jeff. I will say this. Jeff wrote a really in-depth piece the other day that ran right at the uh, – just before the Eagles played Tampa, and it was all about Jalen Hurts and kind of hurts his negotiating the locker room. Jalen, as we all know, is very stoic, and Jeff quoted sources from within the organization who said that it would probably go a long way to uh, helping Jalen and um, making things lighter and better in the locker room if he opened up a little bit more, that often the way he is to us in the media, who he (laughs) regards as the enemy— he carries sort of the same personality within the locker room sometimes, and it's hard for guys, certain guys to get to know him, uh, and that, you know, a quarterback has to be a quarterback for the entire team. And I don't know that Gunner is, if that's what Gunner is referring to or not, Glenn, but that to me is something that stands out. I like Jalen Hurts a lot. I yep. think he's a, he's a terrific human being in that he's not going to get involved in anything dumb off the field or anything like that, and uh he carries himself very well publicly, but he carries himself so stoically and so mysteriously, I guess you'd say, in answering some of these public questions it, that it can work against him. Seems sometimes. like something he's got to work on. Yeah. Absolutely. John in John, where's Mickelson? I don't know Mickelson. Where's that? Mickelton. M-I-C-K-L-E-T-O-N. It's, it's uh, in between Swedesboro and Woodbury. Oh, there you go. What's on your mind? Uh, Glenn and Mike, I really enjoy your show. I look forward to it every week. Thank you, John. I know a lot of respectable people have said that Sirianni will be and should be around next next year. Uh, I think there's too many damning points. Um, fact of the matter is, look, we would never be critical of Sirianni for personnel decisions because that's not his job. However, his job is to have his team prepared for a winning brand of football every week. Can't take a week off from that. 
And for the past two months, this team has not been prepared to play football. It's not like they're getting beaten just in the X's and O's. They're not showing up to play football. Bottom line is that that falls directly on the head coach. And I think the most damning piece of evidence of that is the audio that Dallas Goddard gave last week. Everybody heard that, right? Mm-hmm. Who basically said, well, we thought we could kind of take it easy against those easy teams at yeah. the end of the season. It was, uh, it it was on our midday show. Yeah, It was on your midday show. Yep. That is the head coach's job. When I heard that, I was already out. Yeah. When I heard that, I said, well, obviously everybody's out. I, ag- I agree when we talked about it, and thanks for the call. We, we play that and, and kind mm-hmm. of agree with it. Like, this is a symbol of big, big internal problems. Yeah, again, I, I just don't know, Glenn, how much of what we saw from those last seven weeks, how much of what we saw that looked like a lack of effort was that, and I, I think that's part of it, and how much of it was kind of a hopelessness within the scheme right, that you really know this isn't going to work. We haven't tried anything new. You know, again. W- and they when never it, did. And they never did. They and never when it, did. Look at last year. When an offense is clicking and rolling, it looks better. <clears throat> the players look more enthusiastic because they know or believe that what's getting called or the strategy they're going to use is going to work. Yeah. And I don't think those guys necessarily believe that this season. All right, real quick, because I asked you this earlier, said I get back to it and never did. Who's the Eagles MVP? Jake Elliott. I think it's he is. Be Jake Elliott. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was certainly going to be AJ Brown. Here, here's, AJ Brown was under consider. His name was mentioned as a like, hey, he may get some league votes, and then you know, unfortunately, that that ended. It's not the quarterback. It was going to be Hassan Reddick, and you were going to get treated to dinner at Ralph's, and then that we went know the other how direction. that turned out. There you go, Dan Wilson. If you look more at the menu, you got anything in mind? Any anything else you're going to get? Have you, have you checked with your cohort? Yeah, there? there's there's some chicken parm here that looks pretty good. That's good. Uh, ben and I might, yeah, we might split a few things again. Don't, t- don't get too exotic. They got Dan, any like the good chicken parm you know, in there? We, we, we might take it to go, put it in the fridge for everyone to enjoy the next you, you day. You know what I've loved there? They have like the seafood fra diablo. Yeah, I think got, you had that once. Yeah, when, I love when it. Been I love it. The only problem with that is I got to wear a bib because I get like the <laughs> I, I like the sauce I, splashing all and over. You, the and place. you know what else they have that is my favorite appetizer <clears throat> there, and not many places serve it anymore is mm. Clams Casino. Oh yeah, I love yeah, Clams yeah. Casino. But to answer your question, yep. here's why Jake Elliott is their MVP. Mm-hmm. They struggled so much in the red zone early in the season, and it got better as the year went on, at least in the mid part of the season. Think about if Jake had not made some of the field goals and kicks oh, that he made. The one against Buffalo. They wouldn't have been 10-1 yeah, yeah. to begin with. No, they, they, the one against Buffalo was an all-timer. Yeah. All right, let's take a couple minutes and take a look around the NFL. First of all, the Dallas Cowboys decide we're keeping Mike McCarthy. Uh, good omen for the Eagles? Yeah, good omen for the Eagles. Terrific regular season coach. Can't get it done in the playoffs. Has come up short in really important big moments with teams that were supposed to win postseason games. We saw what happened against the Packers. Good for the Eagles. Jerry Jones is a lot more patient than Jeff Lurie. Jerry Jones wants to his to, detriment. Jerry Jones wants the Cowboys to be relevant. That is the thing that matters most to him. I think it matters even more than winning a Super Bowl. As long as they are in the discussion, he is happy. Well, the most valuable franchise in the league. All right, we got some big games today. Start. What's the first time? Is it 4:30? 4:30 today. Saturday, 4:30. The Texans time slot. Texans, <laughs> Texans at the Ravens. Baltimore, a nine and a half point favorite. Listen, I love that rookie C.J. Stroud. But, I do, uh, too. I don't, I don't know. 
Well, here's the thing, Glenn. Yeah, you see here's it. the thing. There's pressure on the Ravens and Lamar Jackson to win a playoff game. Yeah. They should win that game. Lamar should be the MVP. He's terrific. However, there's a slim possibility that they go into that game and they're a little tight. Who knows? Ooh, I'm rooting for uh, I'm rooting for the Texans. Yeah, Lamar one in three postseason, soon to be the MVP of the league this year. Had a great year. Just he, a great year. Great, great year. But you're right. Has to show it in the postseason, which my bills tomorrow, the same kind of deal. All right. Later this evening, the Packers at the Niners. Again, San Francisco a nine and a half point favorite. These are these are long, long lines tonight. Uh listen, speaking of young quarterbacks who are great, Love was amazing last Tre- week tremendous. against the Cowboys. Can they go into San Francisco and pull the upset? No. They cannot. No. They cannot. No, but Jordan Love, you got to feel great about him if you are a Packers fan. Yeah. And a little bit of evidence that suggests it's good for a quarterback to sit a little while and learn before he takes over. Which is what they did with Rodgers. I mean, that's the way they've exactly. always done it in Green Bay. And, and if teams could get past the rookie contract thing and having, you know, wanting to start a guy who doesn't count much against the salary oh, hold on, cap. Hold on. CJ, I just gave you a whole C.J. Stroud is great thing. That plays against it. Yeah, it does, but it depends on the quarterback, too. Okay. All right, two games tomorrow real quick. The Bucks at the Lions. You know what is not? And, again, I lived in Detroit before I moved to Philadelphia. I was there for six years. Those fans have waited for so long to have a decent football team. They were beat down for decades. And I am told that the atmosphere, Ross Tucker was talking about how amazing the atmosphere yep. was The there. top five loudest game ever or something yeah, like that the and, other day. And you know what? Good for them. They deserve it. I think the Lions are going to you know, beat the Bucks. I uh, hope so. And I'm rooting for them. I would love to see the Lions come out of the NFC. Right, I really and, would. And then the game, regarded as the closest one tomorrow night, the Chiefs at the Bills. You got a lot riding on this game, bud. Yeah, I got to get my dad over to my house and watch yeah, that thing. Yeah, you do. I Look. I find it very hard to pick against Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs. I never, just never played a road game other than the Super Bowl. Yeah, but he's 38-11 and 11 on the road in his career. It's not like it's been a tough place for him to play. Yeah, when's the last time he played in cold weather and snow? Last week. Yeah, I know. Uh, and you mentioned me something that made me just absolutely upset, which is this Bills game, by the way, is again going to be in weather. Mm-hmm. And they're paying people the twenty dollars to shovel the stadium and all that. And you think what we are seeing this year in Kansas City in Buffalo could lead to neutral site championship no, games? No, Albert no. Breer, Albert Breer from Sports Illustrated and Monday Morning Quarterback reported this last year. I think the owners are going to look at the conditions of these games and say to themselves, "Why are we doing this to ourselves?" Meaning the owners. Yeah. Why don't we send these games to as many of these games to neutral sites as we possibly can? Let's start with the championship games and Hate go it. from there. Hate Are we going to the Elliott Dome theory? Oh God! Oh, I mean that's what, right. that's where we're headed. I know. No, stop. Both of you stop. I hate both. I hate the idea of we have to go to a dome or we have to go to a neutral site. No, it's made to be played in the elements. It's football. It's why we love it. All right. So bottom line is, I got all four home teams winning this week. Favorites, and you got. I have the Chiefs. Four. I have the Chiefs winning. Yeah, thank tomorrow you. Night. I appreciate that. Sorry. Right. Hey, I don't want to see the Lions and Bills meet in the Super Bowl because you have two fan bases yeah. that are so hungry that it would be terrible to see them have to go up against each other. I want to see oh. the Lions against the Chiefs or the Bills <laughs> yeah, against give the me an 49ers. Yeah, I, I would definitely be able to have more of a uh, rooting interest if it was one or the other. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, that helps. All right, coming up, we look at the big brain of Dan Wilson. 
Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. Uh, if the cold weather has you thinking it's finally time to replace those old drafty windows and doors, there is no better time than now to make your home more energy efficient while taking advantage of Guida's big winter sale. The great people at Guida Door and Window, they're extending their big winter sale through January by offering 40% off every window and door you buy. Yep, receive 40% off each uh, expertly installed energy-efficient replacement window, and that includes free high-performance low-E glass. And if you're in need of a new door, you receive 40% off any door, including insulated entry doors, sliding patio doors, garage doors, and storm doors. And you can take advantage of Guida's interest-free financing or low monthly payment plans to get your project started with no money out of pocket. Offers are limited time only, so you got to act quickly. If your home needs new windows and doors, call the experts at Guida today. Schedule a free in-home estimate at one eight seven seven go guida or visit them at goguida.com. That's go, G-U-I-D-A.com. All right, Mike Sealski, Glenn Mack. Now, what do you got going on the rest of the weekend? Heading home, getting cleaned up and relaxing for a little while, visiting friends in Malvern this afternoon for dinner. Nice. How about uh, you? Um, I got nothing. Actually, you know what? I told you, we started watching Oppenheimer. I'm mm-hmm. going to finish watching Oppenheimer. Well, that'll be the rest of your day. Yeah. Uh, so I don't have much, but you know what I am doing this week? It's what you did last week is I'm going to Zahab. Oh, uh-huh. yes. That's Ooh. where I was last Saturday. We got reservations this week. It was it's amazing. No pun intended here. It was a religious experience. Uh, it was one of the five best meals I've ever had in my life. Yeah. We're a great restaurant in Philadelphia. So I'm excited about that. And we start rehearsals for Diary of Anne Frank this week. So it's going to be wonderful. Going to that, it's, that's going to be uh, pretty interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Other than that, I don't know. Maybe go home, watch a little Flyers this afternoon. There you go. Again, gonna, it's, it's be, it, the Flyers have become like compelling watch. Yeah, they absolutely have because of the way they're doing it, right? They're, it's the underdog thing. It's the, you know, we're going to skate our butts off and just come at you in waves every single game. Whether they can sustain that for the rest of the regular season and into the postseason, I don't know. But for right now, it's a really cool story. Yeah, pretty good stuff. All right, and I'm watching football tonight. That's what I'm going to be doing. That's me tomorrow, all day. There you Work, go. Working on the book and watching football. There we go. And but just for people who don't know, because you say the book, but we don't often talk about what your book is, which I think is going to be a great one. Thanks. It's uh, The working title is Magic in the Air, and it's all about the myth and mystery and soul of the slam dunk. So right now I'm writing a chapter about Darnell Hillman, who I did not even, I mean, I remember the name, but I don't remember what you just He won me. the first slam dunk contest would, in NBA history. I would not, you, I could have guessed a hundred names and Darnell Hillman would not have been in. Yeah. And the cool part about it was that the contest was so honky tonk at the time that Hillman was actually between teams. He had been traded from the Indiana Pacers to the Nets, but his rights had been traded. So he wasn't technically a net yet. So when he participated in the contest, he wore a T-shirt of a local Indianapolis liquor store whose softball <laughs> team he played for. Is it Rocky? Sounds that the way, meat right? Company? Yeah. yeah. Shamrock so Meats or whatever it was. There he is winning the dunk contest with the words bottle shop across the front of the T-shirt oh, he's I love wearing. That. I love that. All right. Let us go examine the big brain of Dan. Coming Wilson. up, we look at the big no. brain of Dan Wilson. <laughs> I, I don't you, have to hear myself twice. I, fig- I figured I you like this intro better than the inner thoughts. That is much better than the inner thoughts. All right, so less creepy. We're working that, that on the intro. Glenn, Mac now, Mac now, Mac now, Mac right, now. Well, right. I didn't know he was going to intro the intro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first thing this week, uh, we were talking during the break. You have not seen this, Mike. Maybe you have. Uh, this week, Buccaneers traveling to Detroit, a team from Tampa playing a team in Detroit. And one of the Tampa reporters in the Todd Bowles press conference 
very concerned that the Buccaneers will have trouble bracing the elements of Detroit. Take a listen. Coach, you, you. Uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. Uh, today it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we tend to talk to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure, but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? And they got a dome. I don't um, no, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors. All right, so so very quickly, Dan, mm. uh, about was almost 20 years ago now when, when Bill Parcells was coaching the Cowboys, NFL coaches would do a weekly conference call with the media who covered the team they were playing that week. Mm-hmm. So Parcells was on a conference call with Eagles reporters, and a reporter asked him, you know, Bill, you guys have had a tremendous home field advantage all season. How can you use that? Uh, to help you against this Eagles team coming up on Sunday. And Parcells said, aren't we playing in Philly? And they were. Yeah. So the way I I look at this, and I don't know the the woman who asked the question, but what I'm guessing is this is the time of year when if it's your local team, Mm -hmm. they start getting like everybody who didn't cover sports all year, the news people all start covering sports. I, again, I'm surmising she's probably who does the local TV news yeah. or the local TV weather and, like, doesn't know anything about the NFL. It, no. was, it was a cringy moment. It was. Sure. And, it, you know, Glenn, it never goes the other way where, like, there's a mayoral election and they start asking the sports guys to weigh in on <laughs> who should get elected Although, mayor. That's, unfortunately, that's how most politics is covered now. But, okay, what else we got? Uh, DeAndre Ayton uh, with the Trailblazers got iced in this week, had to miss a game. They even sent, like, team officials out to try and get him. They couldn't get him out of the neighborhood. Where's he? Was he living in Igloo? In, I don't know. Somewhere in Oregon or Portland. Yeah. Oh well, that was I saw. Did you see the weather out in Oregon and Washington? Oh, this it was week? crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really bad. I mean, it was it was. Yeah, and it's true. He got iced in. He couldn't get out. of He literally his house. couldn't leave. Amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, that was that was seriously scary. Weather's scary these days. A few more weather-related things, uh, Glenn. I'm sure you'll love this. Uh, the Peacock game last week, Chiefs and Dolphins. I know you listened on Westwood One and kind of stood in protest. That's but right. Ross Tucker, man, great job. The same Kevin cannot, Harlan, the same cannot I was going to say, the same cannot be said for the rest of America. 23 million people watched the most streamed event ever. This is where we're headed. Well, and again, I will tell you that while I don't begrudge anybody who wanted to watch the game and says, yeah, I'll pay six ninety five or mm-hmm. whatever uh, for Peacock or maybe already got Peacock. Listen, I get a bunch of streaming services, so Peacock just doesn't happen to be one of them. That this was successful and that the NFL crowed so much about this. Yeah. On the next day's game, it's like history was made yesterday. This is a great thing. And the, the NFL is is pounding its chest and NBC over this thing. What it means is there will be fewer and fewer games available on over-the-air free TV, and they're just going to run with this more. Super Bowl as pay-per-view event. That's where we're Could pointing. They do that? You know who would never have allowed this, by the way? Rest his soul, Arlen Specter. Mm. Arlen Specter, man, when he yeah. was when he was in the Senate, this was a big thing for him, and he would be out there right now pounding the pavement over this. And I got one last thing for you, and this is a Buffalo story that I'm sure sure you'll enjoy, dating back to earlier in the season. Of course, the Bills at one point when they came and played the Eagles didn't even look like they might not even make the playoffs. Now they've gone on a nice winning streak, the exact opposite of what the Eagles did. 
And it all started, some say, at least in Buffalo, with the drunk man who fell into the pit of where the new stadium is going to go. <laughs> and so now every week, the Bills Mafia sacrifices at least one fan <laughs> to jump into the pit of the new stadium, and they haven't lost a game is, since. Is this like when ancient cultures would throw a virgin into a volcano? <laughs> it's my, only my, weird if it doesn't work, Mike. By the way, my hunch with the, these guys... They may be virgins themselves. <laughs> that's, that's just my guess. Listen, if, if it helps the Bills win, yeah, I mean, they're all for it. You know? uh, how deep is that? Do you know? I, I saw a video online. It's not a... I mean, it's, they're it's not a couple throwing sto- them 40 feet down a gully, right? It's a couple-story fall. One guy just fell right into the snow. Well, at least wow. there's snow. Something to break Well, right the now there is, yeah. Yeah, listen, Bills Mafia is... Uh, I'm, I'm from... They stop at nothing. I'm from those people, and... Um, you know, it's funny because people used to say, oh, Eagles fans are a bunch of drunks and so By the way, Eagles fans are very, Philadelphia fans, and you and I have done shows, mm-hmm. very different than what this yes. city was 30 yes. years ago and what the stereotype is of this city. Correct. We're actually a fairly mellow crew and very supportive. Bills fans are nuts, but nuts in kind of a good way. Yeah, look, they have to be nuts. They couldn't survive up there don't for rip, nine months of the year if they you, couldn't. Don't rip my town. I'm not don't ripping your town. I'm just town. saying that the weather is oppressive. They have 30 inches of snow right now. They yeah. have <laughs> to be a little yeah. bit nutty to survive up there is yeah. all I'm saying. Otherwise, you go stir-crazy. 30 inches of snow, please. We used to That's call nothing. That yeah, Friday. we walked to school. Yeah, and We that, walked yeah. through that pit to get Bare to school. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right, well, good. Thank you. At least all of us agree that Dome Stadium should never be a part of this. That Buffalo is not. I, I my I've been talking with my uncle. My uncle Jeff lives up there still, mm-hmm. and he's like, "I've had it. I want a dome." It's like, "No, Uncle Jeff, what? What? what you become soft? Is Buffalo going soft? What's happening no, up there? Oh, yeah, no, don't do that to me." Well, anyway, here's the thing, though. Couple of things. Number one, as I said earlier, the idea of neutral site slash domed mm. championship games mm. has already been floated. Great. Here's the other thing, too, Glenn. If you gave Jeffrey Lurie the chance to build Lincoln Financial Field all over again, I would be willing to bet he would have put a dome on it because putting a dome on it allows Mm. him to host a Super Bowl and makes it open to all different sorts of Final Fours, things of that nature. That they cannot host now. And that's the way you're going to see things trending, I think. This is how we're going out of the show. Is that what this, how you guys want to finish this show? It's a beautiful day today. It's really cold, and I'm going to enjoy my Saturday. Up oh, note. There is this we go. turning into a pro dome show? Yeah. Pro dome? Come on, guys. All right. Listen, good stuff. Dan Wilson, great job by you. What do we have coming to next? Uh, next is uh, Go Birds. Birds James Radio. Elliott from Parks. Okay. There you go. All right. All right. And you and I and uh, Dan, and we'll all figure out when we're going to go to Ralph's and then. Enjoy the, uh, the dinner on you. I see. Now I thought we were going to end the show on an up note, wow. and here you are depressing me again. There you go. All right, everybody. It's an up note for some. I will be back tomorrow with Jody Mack, but it's a weird time, one o'clock in the afternoon. So if you turn the radio on in the morning, we're not there. Don't panic. We'll get there eventually. Dan, thanks a lot. Stay tuned. Go Birds Radio next on ninety four WIP. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.